It's Tuesday, March 1st, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by ManRubs. You can find them at ManRubs.com and on Instagram, ManRubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Mm. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Now, it's not confirmed yet on whether or not Mike Lindell is going to try and airdrop pillows in to Ukraine. But there is one thing that I'm sure of. My towels are now $29.99 for a six-piece set. Oh, they're good, too. They are amazing. In addition to that, we got... Uh, Giza Dream Sheets, lowest prices ever, and my slippers up to 50% off. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. Of course, you're going to enter steak at checkout as the promo code. And if you want to talk to a qualified pillow representative, you can always call via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment, specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, street sweeper baby, cocked and ready to go, there you go. You can get all those ear needs taken care of and then some at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. If you're into the tradesies, he's a licensed FFL. More importantly, he's got ammo. Firearms, parts, and accessories. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned, easy-to-use website. Facebook Messenger will hit you back quick or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. They're usually wearing apparel from Mediocre Medic as well. T-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more while they're off-duty. Stickers and patches for when they're on. They've got a pretty fire IG as well. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck, can be found at Dumpbox. Go throw some money at our good friend Mark Joe Friday. He's been doing it right for a very long time. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. On that note, for all of our friends listening from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now Truth Social, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 112. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. And we've got a 
an action-packed show today. We're going to have an America First roundtable with uh, Robbie Starbuck and Mike Collins. We're going to be joined later by uh, Mr. Joe Kent. Before we get into the news, let's start with uh, a little bit of housekeeping agenda. Housekeeping. There you go. First off, um, yesterday, if you didn't see it on our social media because of the shadow bands, um, our newest venture in the podcast universe launched in the form of a Roku channel. And uh, we've joined it. It's a uh, network of podcasts. There are, I think, around a dozen on there now uh, with more to come soon. Some of the names you may have heard, some not. Um, But, uh, yeah, Alan Jacoby, who's the head and, uh, like, the CEO of the network, um, you know, he's running the show and and asked us to join in with them. We kind of saw the... The business model and what it looked like, you know, monetarily, it doesn't do anything for us. But as far as, like, continuing to get the word out and uh, positive exposure to a larger listenership, we, we, we definitely saw the uh, the benefits of it. So we talked and, and decided to jump in with them. And, uh, yeah, the Patriot Podcast Network launched yesterday and uh, looks pretty good so far. Yeah, so far so good. We're the only ones that don't do an actual video there's a, there's with a ours, right? There's a, there's a couple. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, now you can listen to steak for breakfast in the comfort of your own home via the television. So if you have a Roku TV or, or one of those Roku devices attached to your television, you just go on there and type in Patriot podcast network and you'll see it come up. It's like a gray, red, white, and blue logo. And you just add the app and simple as that. And you can listen to steak for breakfast and all of our friends, you know, like I said, Alan Jacoby and his shows on there. Uh, we, the people are on there. Mike Crispy brought his show over. Uh, Alex Abernathy's on there. Sergeant and Samurai. There's there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So I think I think up to a dozen, and there's a couple more coming in. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty awesome you know an interactive experience. There's gonna be the opportunity to do lives. Uh, there are some shows that are gonna be broadcast live on a daily basis, and uh, you know it's one of those things. Alan really uh, pitched a good business plan to us, and. Uh, you know, he, he he invested a lot of his own money into something that's not going to be really generating anything, well, for us, but even for him <laughs> yeah. in, in the beginning. But it was a pretty large investment to secure that channel and get everything squared away. So we appreciate the opportunity, and uh, hopefully we'll be listening to you in the comfort of your own home from here on out as well. Um, in addition to that, guys, can't stress anymore. You know, you're going to get this show if you're listening day of, which is uh, Tuesday, March 1st. You know, in the afternoon, it's it's going to be up. If you're in the great state of Texas, you better be out early voting. Today's the last day, and, uh, you know, we really want to see that data compiled and those numbers coming in to show just how uh, successful, you know, the Republicans and the grassroots movement has been in, in regards to registering voters and, and getting them out there. So um, it's one of those things that you can't revisit it enough how important it is to uh, fix the things that are going on with this country right now, and it's beginning – it starts with getting behind these America First candidates and showing your support for them by getting out there and early voting. And yeah, then, yeah. If the local the local people in your elections aren't on board with what should be happening, and if they're even remotely supporting the stuff that's going on currently, then you're looking at the wrong ones. Yeah, and we've had some great ones from Texas on our show. Most recently, you know, we've had Jason Storm Nelson, Susan Harp. Um, Bianca Gracia, uh, 
there's just been a lot of them. Roland Lopez, uh, Jamison Ellis, who's Dan Crenshaw's primary challenger. We've had a lot of great candidates on there that have spoken a, a real strong America First message. So make sure you're getting out there and supporting them today. Let's get Greg Abbott out of there. Show him that those early uh, poll numbers aren't looking as good as he might think, and he's not as safe and secure as he uh, would like to be in the form of a runoff election. And uh, last thing I want to touch on, and it kind of ties in with the elections thing, you know, we had Matt Brainerd on two weeks ago, and uh, we said we were going to start pumping Look Ahead America, which is his uh, nonprofit organization. You know, you guys need to head over to Twitter or look them up online and uh, see what they're all about. They're grassroots campaign that's extremely involved in supporting these candidates, uh, getting people registered. And like Matt said, they will train people to, you know, do the things that they're doing in regards to poll watchers, voting registration, stuff like that. So if you're feeling compelled to get involved and, and be more hands-on in the uh, in the movement right now, that's definitely an organization you should start out uh, by looking at first because it's, it's really important to uh, be doing something a little bit more than shit posting on the Internet. That's fun, but there's more. Yeah, we can't always meme our way to victory. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the news. Pretty busy news cycle right now. We uh, are going to do a C-cap, CPAC recap a little bit later in the show and tease the State of the Union address. But I think uh, Russia and Ukraine, the issues that are going on there is probably the most predominant thing in the news still um, to today. I think they've entered day six and, uh, you know, no, just, just the optics of it. What are you seeing? But there's a lot of different opinions either coming from Washington DC or from our foreign allies and what people are doing and not doing. And, you know, we're going to break it all down, but, uh, and give a little bit more. We're going to deep dive behind, go, go before the history lesson we gave last week, which was like 2013 to now. And some of the stuff that have gone on in Russia and Ukraine, but we're going to take it a step further and go back a little bit more and and some of the things that are affecting us right now this week but what are you saying i'm just seeing the misinformation mm. a lot of the stuff that you know people are posting as current stories that have been false like the snake island thing that we kind of touched on yeah the ghost of uh, kiev the ghost of kiev is is something from a video game or i don't really know what that detail was but apparently it wasn't true mm-hmm. it's just very interesting and the stuff that people are running with, I mean, I, it is difficult to verify something that's happening in a country halfway across the world. But at the same time, we usually try to, like, verify stuff the best we can and just see if, uh, you know, if there's truth to the story. But the way these things are being purported on a massive level, like the, the Snake Island thing, for all we knew, that was true. Shout out to all our Reddit listeners and uh, congratulations on skewing the news cycle for the last week. Yep. Got him. That's yeah, pretty interesting to see. Uh, and regardless on whether or not portions of like, let's just say the Snake Island thing are true, the people were alive. They, yeah. They were captured and given happy meals. Oh, good. Uh, once they were brought to the mainland. But uh, yes, it's definitely one of those things you have to use a lot of discernment. There were some specific stories that I tried to stay away from myself. I just... Got sucked in. Every time yeah. I try to get out, you get no, sucked you, back you, in. Because the memes are so spicy. That's yeah. part of it. And, uh, you know, you, you you want it to be real and funny. But, uh, you know, at, le- at least the actual news portions of the stuff we were reporting seem to be what's in line with what's really going on. Um, not some of the stuff that you might, you know, find out later is misinformation. 
consequently enough, someone who's really good at that, Jen Psaki, uh, she did the... Good at misinformation? Yeah. Yeah. The human fire extinguisher herself. Uh, jumped on the uh, Sunday morning news shows this week. And uh, I don't even really want to get into this, but just listen to this one. <laughs> What this actually justifies in President Biden's view is the fact that we need to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, on oil in general, and need to, and we need to look at other ways of process, of having energy in our mm. country and others. One of the interesting things, George, we've seen over the last week or so is that a number of European countries are recognizing they need to reduce their own reliance on Russian oil. And- Sounds. So not necessarily saying that we should, you know, have not just totally hamstringed our own operations here in the continental United States, but we should be using less. Sounds reasonable enough, right? (laughs) Yeah. So last week saw some numbers heading into the weekend and I wanted to confirm. So I did. Um, We increased our reliance on Russian oil just last week alone by 620 plus thousand barrels a day. So. And that bumped us up from the high 22s into the 23 million barrels a month category. But Green knew everything. We're, we're, we're paying Russia. Yes. A so, lot. So that's like you got that shitty neighbor who who throws parties all the time and is super noisy. And then like they have a garage sale and you buy all their shit so they could buy a new stereo system. A louder. To be stereo, louder. Louder karaoke device. Yeah. Apparently so, um, but yeah, that's that's Jen's take on it, but in actuality, what's really going on? And I think what we need to do is kind of, you know, go a little bit further. Can you imagine how those meetings go when they have to just totally backtrack on stuff that makes sense? And they're like, all right, well, this is what we should say, but we're going to have to say it a little bit less like that. Otherwise, it's just going to sound like we're a bunch of idiots. Sounds like that's every meeting. It's going to be disappointing. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the real root causes of this Russian invasion? I mean, I've the seen... The white rage? Mm-hmm. That's part of it. Oh, good. And we're going to get into that. So, <laughs> for starters, if you're the casual politics follower, you're probably not listening to this show. Most of you have probably seen it as well because it's circulating on online. And those are the NATO uh, lines drawn countrywide. There's a the side-by-side map going around right now that showed all the NATO countries. Let's I think it's from 1998 and then a 2022 version of the map. And uh, it shows a, a ridiculous increase in the, uh, or I'm sorry, decrease in the size of the backyard of Russia. Essentially, that's what we're saying. They had a lot more space to, to play. So much more room for activities. And not worry about all this uh, NATOing going on as they do now, which again is not a reason to invade, but historically Russia has a little bit of the uh, nervous twitch when it comes to getting enclosed mm-hmm. and their uh, sovereignty threatened. And that goes as far back as Napoleon all the way up through, you know, everybody's least favorite dictator, Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them invaded and, and invaded at the wrong time of year, apparently. And yeah, never really made it to, uh, Maybe the weather forecast was wrong. To Moscow. So, you know, it's one of those things. The buffer region in between mainland Europe and Russia's western flank has greatly decreased 
over the last two and a half decades. And uh, whether that's tactical or not, it's just the countries that have got in there. Next, you have to look at the fact that if you want to talk about populist nationalism, Russia probably is the gold standard for it. Not saying that we would copy that model because it's interwoven within communism. But there are a lot of things there that don't fly that do in the United States. Um, And the, the stuff that does not do well in Russia is a lot of the things that are dominating every institution in this country right now. And that's the woke agenda. Yeah. Number one is green. Number two is the LBGQ, whatever trans flag movement, all the high ranking military officials that are bitching about, they can't get their nails done or what the pronoun should be or the root causes of white rage, et cetera. There it is. That's really bad optics for us and all of the stuff that Russia uses as propaganda on its own people to say, if we give you an inch, this is where it'll eventually turn out to. And and that's literally some (laughs) of the stuff they use. I mean, are they wrong? They sure aren't. So what what Putin sees is what I just described. And in addition, stuff he can look at when he sees the United States on a global scale right now how awful our economy is. It's self-induced. We did it to ourselves. And that includes the gas prices, the optics of empty shelves, um, and stuff like things that you typically haven't seen in the United States since the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, and should not be happening again. There's just no excuse for it. Nope. Then he sees Joe Biden. He looks at him as a president. Everything is read off a teleprompter. A present? He's a present to a lot of people. But like I was saying, he takes questions off a tele or reads speeches off a teleprompter and teleprompter only. He usually fields no questions, caps early lids, brags about going to sleep early, and spends 90% of his weekends away from the White House, regardless of the situation. You know, Russia's invading Ukraine, the leader of ISIS was killed. You name a disaster that's happened in this country over the last 14 months, and Joe Biden's been in Delaware for the weekend when it's happened. How come uh, people aren't having the same fervor over uh, Trump's golfing trips as this? Because he was actually handling his business. Oh, that's right. But it was uh, America first agenda in the way he was doing it, so it was awful. He doesn't have to look too much further when he sees Kamala Harris, someone who is completely inept and unqualified for her position. She has no experience whatsoever and doesn't know how to handle any situation, nor could. So I think he feels unthreatened completely by the weak state of the United States right now. Russia's strongest ally is China. And we're pushing them further into their arms with everything that we're doing. It's a warm embrace. Yes. From the sleeping dragon. Reach around. Mm -hmm. With the tail? Yeah. There you go. And it's just so funny that China is Russia's greatest ally. However, we buy everything from China. Everything. Oh, there's that yard sale again. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's look at some more optics. The Afghan debacle. I'm pretty sure... If there was any apprehensiveness about rolling convoys into the Ukraine, all of those fears were alleviated as young fighting age Afghan men fell from the wheel wells of departing C-130s at the Kabul airport. No question about it. The optics of that were horrible. Yeah. We gave up the most strategic air base in the world, full of equipment, 
and made the Taliban the eighth or ninth largest military on the planet with the gifts that we left them when we abandoned them there. Relocating nearly a million refugees while leaving all of our allies, legal permanent residents, and citizens in country. Just top to bottom. Wait, but he said they weren't going to leave until everyone was out. Mm. Didn't they? Mm. But did they? Mm. (laughs) Again, circling back to the generals, the trans movement, the female movement in high-ranking positions, the nails, the hair, the optics, the root causes of white rage. That guy that they just hired to be the administrator who's in charge of all the nuclear waste. Oh, my gosh. In the country is a, I don't even know what he considers himself, but he does like leather-bound furry porn parties. And this is the man, maybe, who's handling all of the nuclear waste in our country right now. He's the top administrator for it. He's going to bury the waste in the backyard. He's like the evil version of that guy that Jen Psaki had do the TikTok video, like the gay intern Oh, guy. yeah. <laughs> He's like the evil version of him. It's like if that guy grew a goatee. But enough about us. Yeah. Because we all know. Germany, responsible for the start of both previous world wars, could be just about as responsible for starting this one if it continues to uptick. And what that... N- narrative is shaped around is how energy dependence that Germany relies on everybody and their cancellation of energy independence, oil refineries, natural gas refineries, and all nuclear capabilities have allowed them to become reliant on others and push this green movement agenda bullshit worldwide through the EU, which is just the EU right now is like a large version of how shitty the United States is coming. I'm sorry, becoming. And and it's just one of those things when you look at all the the items from how inept Biden and Harris are to what's going on in the highest ranking positions in the military, our economy, gas prices, and all that other stuff that's self-inflicted. You know, you you circle that all around the green movement that went through the EU first. And the green movement that doesn't touch any of the worst transgressors of non-green actions exactly like china and woke politics two things that are completely frowned upon in those two countries that noah just mentioned and then you think about you know how is it in our best interest when the dollar is the global reserve currency to start having all of these countries kick russia out of every place they're distributing oil and stopping them from using the SWIFT bank system, which is like the international um, debt squaring up exchange mm-hmm. thing. It's got so many different, you know, things that it takes care of, but it hurts the American dollar to sanction Russia for things that they're doing to maybe protect a little bit of their sovereignty. You know, they've, they've, they've you know, done it completely the wrong way, but at some point... Ever since they were kicked out of the G8, it seems like no one wants to talk to them anymore, but we go with all these things, and then, like, China's there. And they're way more of a threat than Russia is, and moving forward probably ever will be, unless they just decide to, you know, end the planet in nuclear holocaust, and that's pretty much their only wild card. And the reason we're not engaging with them, even though there are sitting members of Congress right now going on cable news shows and saying that we should uninstigatedly 
just throw themselves into this. I heard somebody on the news this morning that said, oh, yeah, we should just have a, uh, a squadron of A-10s take out that 40-mile-long Russian convoy of uh, armored personnel carriers and missile launchers heading towards Kiev. Noah, our foreign policy expert. <laughs> yes, uh, Strategically, how does that sound? Uh, looking on the, on the lines of strategery, mm. it's probably not a good strategic move if you're trying not to start a war with... I mean... W- there's all sorts of military equipment that have been placed in that area mm-hmm. by us, by other countries. Pretty sure they got some planes, right? Yeah, I heard that uh, the EU was donating some planes. They were been brought to Poland. I think there's about 60 or 70 of them that they're going to be picking up and flying back into Ukraine airspace. So you don't think bombing a convoy of the second largest nuclear power on the planet unprovoked would be uh, wise? If we're not directly boots on the ground being threatened, then not a good call. Hmm. Well, I hope we've continued to paint a little bit better, more of a narrative for you regarding this whole thing. And, and, and just for those who are just maybe getting into this and diving in and looking for answers, it's not something that just happened six days ago or started in the early 2000s or even shortly after 1991 when the Ukraine first uh, claimed their independence. From the Soviet Union, we did have a, you know, I think one of the funniest things is, is, is the Ukrainian president and his whole backstory. Um, now, this isn't fake because I, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw him do um, Beyonce's All the Single Ladies when he was an actor in full uniform, which included the stilettos. Oh, yeah. I saw him play the piano with his penis in a, in a skit that he did when he was doing a little bit of comedy. Mm-hmm. which was different from his dancing with the Ukrainian stars. And I've also seen uh, that he was an actor on a show about being the president of Ukraine in times of crisis. So I wonder how that uh, experience is working out for him. At least he knows how to act. Think he can do, think he can do uh, send Morris code with his penis. I mean, he did play the piano with it. I feel like that's probably along the same lines. Just one button. There you go. Well, not like we want to hear, but Hillary Clinton weighed in Ugh. on just what we should be doing. Uh, it's not sending A-10s to the region, but it may be just as provoking. Let's hear it. What can we do as a country to encourage and support those people? David, that's a great question. And... Uh, Even though I did not encourage the demonstrations back in 2011, uh, I did point out on behalf of our country that they were in response to uh, what was an obvious uh, effort by Putin to stay in power and to literally rig his elections. Now we are looking at Russians once again in the streets. They don't want a war with Ukraine. There's a lot of family and other connections between Russians and Ukrainians. I think we can have both what I would argue for uh, government support, but also non-governmental support. There were reports overnight that uh, Anonymous, uh, a group of hackers, took down Russian uh, TV. Uh, I think that you know, people who love freedom, people who understand that you know, our way of life depends upon uh, supporting uh, those who believe in freedom as well, could be engaged in uh, cyber uh, support 
support for uh, those in the streets in Russia. We did some of that during uh, the Arab Spring when I was Secretary of State. I think we could be also you started attacking the a lot of the uh, government Oops. institutions and uh, again the oligarchs and their uh, you know their way of life through cyber attacks. And it will be difficult to get actual physical support, but I think we should be looking at that. I mean, the old days of you know radio free Europe and getting and beaming in uh, accurate information into the homes of Russians. We should be doing everything we can now online to replicate that. It will be very difficult for Putin to plug all the holes in that dike. Information going you. into uh, <laughs> Russia about what Putin is actually doing with this unprovoked attack on Ukraine can keep people, you know, energized. And I think that's something that we should be doing, as I say, both through our government, but also individuals who have the capacity to do that. Our tech companies should not be aiding Russia in this attack in any way. They should be aiding those who are standing for freedom, which, after all, is something that, uh, you know, they're supposed to be on the side of. I don't know where to start. Well, she's still more coherent than the current president. Okay, that's correct. <laughs> oh. So, I don't know. What do you got? No, just help me with this. Is it the fact that she mentioned anonymous on a nationally broadcast? And that was show? fake and debunked prior to her mentioning it, I would assume. Yeah. So, it's just them leading with something that's convenient for them to use. And then all of the retards who who want to find out what that is go and see the video uh, in addition to that she's then trying to employ hackers from around the world again on behalf of the united states to do things to russia which i could see as something that you might consider provoking mm -hmm. so yeah what if some idiot accidentally gets into something that matters yeah and and what if Russia decides, okay, well, these are anonymous hackers, apparently, that are doing all this to it, but I heard your elder stateswoman on the Sunday morning news cycle talking about this bullshit, and, and here we are. I, don't, I can't... Can't imagine how I would pin those items together. Right. I can't sanction anonymous hackers. I can't nuke anonymous hackers. Maybe well, I'll just have to do stuff you, to you. You can nuke them. Because if you nuke anybody, you're nuking them all. That's true. And uh, very scary. Consequently, so's Liz Cheney. <laughs> the America last, if you want to still call her a Republican. I don't think it counts anymore. Congressperson mm. was jumping right on after Hillary Clinton on a lot of the Sunday morning shows this week, which I thought was funny. Probably in some coordination to gauge whether or not they would be a dream ticket for the Dems in the 2024 presidential <laughs> election. Uh, let's hear her talk about how much she underlyingly misses her dad blowing up third world countries. You about uh, where the conservative movement is these days with Russia. Um, J.D. Vance, an Ohio candidate for Senate, said mm. on a podcast recently, I don't really care what happens to Ukraine one way or the other. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri told CBS the U.S. should not send troops to any NATO country since the U.S. can't afford it. So there is this non-interventionist, isolationist movement that President Trump himself really uh, endorsed with America First. I mean, how do you explain to voters why that view, Republican view, is wrong. 
Look, we've, we've been down that road before. We've seen isolationism in both parties, and it's always been wrong, and it's always been dangerous. America cannot defend and maintain our own freedom and security uh, if we think that we're going to simply withdraw from the world and not lead. You know, we are watching today the brutality of Vladimir Putin uh, as he attempts to invade a democratic, uh, sovereign nation. And anyone who thinks that U.S. freedom and security is going to be maintained if we take a step back and don't lead, you simply need to look at what's happening in Ukraine to recognize uh, like the last that, four that those years who didn't fill exist. the void when the U.S. steps away uh, are people like the Russians, like the Chinese, like the Iranians. Uh, and so the idea that, that the world will be safe and that America will be able to be safe and free uh, with an isolationist approach is wrong. It's also wrong morally. You know, America stands for freedom. America was founded on fundamental principles of freedom, and, and I think it's, uh, it's indefensible for people to abandon those or suggest that we, are, uh, we have no, no view as between Russia and Ukraine in this battle. So the four years of the Trump presidency, we'll call it, she called it isolationism and the America First movement. So the military, bigger, stronger, and refitted better than ever before. Sounds about right, right? Yeah. Okay. Peace through strength. I wouldn't exactly call them buds, but friendlier relations with China, mm -hmm. Russia, mm -hmm. North Korea. Mm. Put Iran out on an island. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Getting involved in foreign wars. Nope, didn't do any of those. Didn't start any either. Began the wind down of Afghanistan. Was a clean handoff until we all know what happened. Yep. Um, Salmini. Splat. Mm. Al-Baghdadi. Goodbye. I remember, what did Trump say? Before the dogs got to him, he blew himself up and cried like a little bitch. Yeah. Okay. Just trying to go back and figure out where nationalist isolationism and the America First movement was wrong. And it's not... Uh, Stronger she, ties with Mexico and Canada? <laughs> and Ener she's saying, energy independence? She's saying lead. Mm -hmm. Well... There's a difference between leading and being the world police. I'm thinking of that time when Donald Trump pushed through everybody at the at the, at the G7 to get to the front of the pack because... That was leading. Mm-hmm. Or when he sat across the table from Angela <laughs> and asked where his... Where's my NATO 2% GDP? <laughs> hmm. Very sad to hear these people go around and just pretend that the last four years... Didn't happen. Well, it's it's the it's the two plus two is always four. You're just gonna say things, and then somebody else is gonna parrot that bullshit, and then people are gonna be like, "Well, yeah, that's true." You want to hear some parroted bullshit? Mm, yes. Wait to hear Condoleezza Rice weigh in on foreign policy. And I have argued that when you invade a sovereign nation, that is a war crime. <laughs> I mean, I think we're at, at, at just a real basic, basic point there. Well, um, I'd, I'd agree. It is certainly she can't even, she's every like, oh, principle oh, oh, what? of international law and international order. And that's why throwing the book at them now in terms of economic sanctions mm -hmm. and punishments is also a part of it. And I think the world is there. Uh, certainly NATO is there. He's, he's managed to unite NATO in ways that I didn't think I would ever see again after the end of the Cold War. Nice you, segue yeah. away from that one. Okay. I've only executive produced for like maybe two years now, okay? And I'm not really good at it. I, I try the best I can. We, we, we try to do the best we can as a production team here at Steak for Breakfast. Who thought it was a good idea to take the woman who was essentially one of the people in charge of invading 
two sovereign nations on lies and misinformation and all false statements and then say, man, it's, it's just really weird when people like Putin invade sovereign nations. That's essentially a war crime. Kind of leads to the rest of us. Let's get away from that one you know, real quick. We've really def- uh, established stronger ties with NATO since the end of the Cold War. Cut the commercial. I mean, it was just like, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, it's just like, wait, you, you, did you forget who you're sitting next to? Like the minute she said that, I just closed my eyes and it went back to that CNN piece. It was like, and the skies are illuminated over Baghdad. <laughs> and you see all the... Uh, anti-aircraft stuff going off in the background, and I'm just like, you know, stop it. Like, not only do they pretend the Trump presidency didn't exist and and only reference it when they want to, like, spin it into something bad, they bring on all of these fucking retreads and and make it seem like their policies were amazing. And uh, they were all terrible and, and did nothing except destabilize the world. You know, over a million Iraqis dead because of the Bush family, and then the absolute horror that was Afghanistan, the little to nothing that got done there and how we exited the place was probably our biggest embarrassing military moment in the history of this country. And we lost some biggies during the revolutionary war. Jennifer Griffin had some of these former Bush administration retreads on. um, And he talked about strategic ways to get militarily inserted into this war. And, uh, he thought that it would be positive for U.S. troops and equipment to be on the ground and active in Ukraine. And uh, Jennifer Griffin, who was hosting a Fox News show, who's a pretty solid for Fox News uh, foreign correspondent, as soon as she hung up the phone with him, she wasn't having that shit. She let the listenership know this was live on TV. But I have to respond to something your previous guest, uh, Brigadier General Balduck, said, because he really was way off the mark in terms of talking about what the U.S. could do on the ground. And with the backdrop of what you've just said in terms of Putin has nuclear weapons. That is why the U.S. military and NATO do not have troops on the ground inside Ukraine. The Ukrainians are very good fighters. They have been, it's a totally different military uh, than it was in 2014 because of the training that has been done quietly uh, by U.S. forces and other allied forces. And they are a tough tough group of fighters. They do not need Americans to fight for them because that would then cause this to to uh, to yeah. spread. And and clearly, Brigadier General Baldock is not a student of history. He's a politician. He ran for Senate in New Hampshire and failed. Oof. He's not a military Ouch. strategist. And to suggest that the U.S. would put indirect fires or special operations or CIA on the ground to uh, to call, to give Putin any sort of She's excuse hot. to broaden in this conflict is extremely dangerous talk at a time like this. The nuclear weapon issue is something to watch, and it is going to be very important in the coming days. I I really appreciate that. I was very surprised to hear that, I have to say, and I did press him on it, so I appreciate you elaborating on that, Jen. Just one... one... Well, I guess you got to call it when you see it, right? Yeah. I I was pretty shocked to uh, hear her go off on that, and then I was glad I was able to find an audio clip of it a little bit later. Um, Tucky weighed in, and, and Noah and I talked about it to, to lead off the show in the segment. It was about some of the uh, false or misinformation that's been going around surrounding this whole situation, whether it be, like, the fighter pilot or, you know, the uh, people on Snake Island, or the, the the grandma with the sunflower seeds, et cetera. Adam Kinzinger had been promoting one of these uh, awful Reddit-founded 
conspiracy theory, fake news stories online using his uh, congressional Twitter account. Like people don't seem to understand that people. There's a lot of people on Reddit that just troll and make stuff up just because. Like, yeah. hey, I want to see how far this goes. Oh, got to CNN. Great. If, if I had one of those reaches, I would immediately start pumping out. Like I would take like the frame of like something that already happened. I would change the narrative a little bit and make it current, and I'd start spreading it as soon as something happened. If I knew how to do something like that. Yeah. But uh, let's hear Tucky kind of weigh in on it and how he feels about Adam Kinzinger. The other day, Kinzinger posted images on Twitter of a Ukrainian air ace called the Ghost of Kiev. He downed Russian MiGs left and right. Well, it turns out the whole thing was a hoax, but of course, Adam Kinzinger had no idea because he knows nothing. Quote, the Ghost of Kiev has a name and he has absolutely owned the Russian Air Force. He tweeted. <laughs> Imagine a sitting member of Congress tweeting about a war like it's a cable news segment. He absolutely owned the Russian Air Force. Really? Get some respect. People are dying, buffoon. Oh. Kinziger then attached an obviously photoshopped image of the comedian Sam Hyde sitting in the cockpit of a fighter jet. Sam Hyde, for the record, is not a Ukrainian fighter ace. He is once again a comedian. <laughs> that was that. Tucky was pretty hot about that one. Wait, so he posted something that he thought was a real picture? He posted basically somebody's tweet of the original, like, Reddit. You know, it's a guy sitting in a cockpit. Oh, right. And uh, he tried to walk it back by like putting an American comedian in like the same picture and posting that. As got like, it. Got it. Got it. That's probably what he was saying when he was like, oof. Well, we've talked about some foreign policy and, uh, it's lack thereof regarding this situation. And if we haven't already heard enough of her, uh, Hillary Clinton was on MSNBC last night. It seems like every time I look at her, she's had a little bit more face work done. The, the, but not enough. Well, that it'll never be enough. <laughs> so, but the, the preparation for the run that's coming is nearly complete. She's, she's recently had her neck done. Oh, good. And it's gone from like the old gizzard little run. Yeah. It's gone from straight turkey to now it looks like a uh, 20, oh. 20 year old. Mm. Let's hear her talk about foreign policy. Remember, uh, the Russians invaded Afghanistan uh, back uh, in 1980. And uh, although no country uh, went in, uh, they certainly had a lot of countries uh, supplying uh, arms and advice and even some advisors uh, to those who were recruited to fight Russia. It didn't end well for the Russians. Uh, there were other uh, unintended consequences, as we know. But the fact is that a very motivated and then uh, funded and armed uh, insurgency uh, basically drove the Russians out of Afghanistan. Um, obviously, the similarities are, are not uh, ones that you should uh, bank on because uh, the terrain, the development uh, in urban areas, et cetera, is so different. But I think that is the model that people are now uh, looking toward. And if there can be sufficient uh, armaments that get in, and they should be able to get in along some of uh, uh, the borders uh, between other nations and Ukraine, uh, and keep the Ukrainian, uh, both their military and their citizen uh, volunteer soldiers supplied, uh, that can continue to stymie Russia. Now, let's be you know, clear that Russia has overwhelming uh, military force. Uh, but of course, they did in Afghanistan as well. Mm. Uh, they also brought a lot of uh, air power to Syria. It has it took years to finally uh, defeat Syria. 
in terms of the insurgencies, the democratic forces, as well as others who battled the Russians, the Syrians, and the Iranians. Um, so if you're fighting for your homeland, you're fighting for your family, you're fighting for your ideals, that's far more powerful than sending in these poor, young Russian soldiers who didn't even know where they were going until they crossed the border and people were screaming at them and they realized they were in Ukraine. So I, I think false. we have to watch this carefully. We have to provide sufficient uh, military armaments for the Ukraine uh, military and volunteers. And we have to keep tightening the screws. Okay. So... First Tightening all, the screws like your neck. Yeah, exactly. She would probably know a thing or two about funding insurgencies. Right. Just saying. That's mm. number one. Number two, awful foreign policy analogy talking about Russia invading and trying to occupy Afghanistan. We've covered it on the show before. A little history lesson. Every single government ever going back to empires that have tried to invade and occupy Afghanistan. Yeah, it's the, it's the empire killer, that place. Have failed and left miserably with their tails between their legs. Kind of the same way, you know, like um, Napoleon and Hitler did a la Russia. So they probably learned from their mistakes and shan't do it again. But I just think when you talk about, uh, you know, her weighing in on foreign policy, you probably couldn't have someone worse. Remember, this is the same idiot that brought Russia the, uh, the, uh, the reset button when they wanted to redo their foreign policy from the, uh, from the bulk office supply stores. All right. So big Dick Ron weighed in on the situation. You know, he's a, he's a cold war kid around the same age as us. And, uh, doesn't seem like he's a huge fan of Vladimir Putin. Let's hear his take. This is a guy who's basically an authoritarian gas station attendant, okay, with some legacy nuclear weapons from the old Soviet <laughs> Union. They, their whole society is hollowed out except for that energy. And so if you want to hit them, hit them at the gas pump. Hit them, hit them with energy. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think the best take, though, came from uh, the Mothership Channel and show from Steve Bannon himself, who weighed in on all of these... Uh, millennials etc replacing their instagram and facebook profile pictures with i stand with ukraine flags mm -hmm. he had a little advice for them i think it was probably the best take of the weekend i want to also make a call to all the millennials out there that are all you know all for this all the millennials here in the united states that are t putting up on your social media you got full opportunity Zelensky needs uh, he needs a uh, militia he needs support get on the trains get on the plane start heading into the ukraine Bill Ackman's calling for direct military, American military intervention. Instead of sending America's boys and girls over there in the in the military, right? Instead of sending troops, why don't we have all the millennials that are so hot on this up on social media? And, and just Steve, get on a plane, get you. to you Europe, get on a train, pouring in there. Zelensky is looking for uh, just go, go, go today. Steve. What do you think? Yeah, I want. I, I mean, it's all the people who are doing this that are the least effective fighting force that you could possibly have. Too a lot of them. Not everyone, but I think general pronouns feels about uh he's gonna have to change the eyeliner color. How dare you? Well, that's kind of up to the minute as of Tuesday on what's going on with uh you know Russia and Ukraine right now. We do have some intense fighting in some cities. We're getting a lot of information, but also at the same time a lot of propaganda in the form of like feel good stories all the way down to what's being targeted and why people are trying to say like Russian troops didn't even know where they were going or what they were doing when they oh, were they sent. accidentally 
right. inserted just the tip. Everything all the way <laughs> to that those fake text messages that were read at the United Nations yesterday where it's like, Mom, it's so hard. We're trying to advance northward, but people are just laying down in, in front of the treads of our tanks. Speed bump, speed bump, speed bump. So, it, it's, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? All the way down to that person, you know, there was some one yesterday where there was, like, the doctor in the emergency room and he starts, like, calling out Vladimir Putin instead of, like, working on the child that's obviously dying from being, you know, caught in an explosion somewhere. So, and then we've seen everything in between from dummies getting blown up on the battlefield to people putting on makeup and extra parts from movies and stuff. And we're just going to have to continue to play it by ear and know that the legacy media is not going to tell you what's going on. They never will. And, uh... Joe Biden will probably figure out a good way to spin this tonight and make us look tough, even though, I'm sorry, from top to bottom right now, this country is weaker than it's ever been before, ever, period. It might not be, no, no I'm just going to stick with that. It is. Well, and that's the difference between us and the other side, is I'm not rooting for us to fail. Right. I don't want us to fail, because if we fail, everyone fails. But... You go back the four years where Trump was president, people were actively rooting for failure of everything he did, no matter the consequences. Yeah. And that's just absolutely asinine. It just it just shows the level of just mental acuity these people have to to think rationally. And for all the people that thought, regardless of what happens anywhere, none of it'll ever affect me. In fourteen short months, congratulations, Joe Biden has gotten you there. You can't go you can't open your eyes in the morning without being affected by how awful this America last administration has been. You're not getting the same food you always ate. If you did, it's two or three times more than it cost. If you could find it at the stores with the empty shelves, gas prices, electric bill, jobs, electric bill, heating, fuel for your car, southern border, COVID bullshit, foreign policy, domestic policy, green new bullshit, build back crappier, you name it. You mean f- tweets? Oh, wait, no, there's no mean tweets. We're getting pretty close to tax and air. Yeah, and then it's like I well, said, that's the that's the Green New Deal thing. There you go. Tax I'm saying air. you're not able to blink without being affected by something negatively that Joe Biden's done to this country and his administration. Soon you won't be able to breathe. We're gonna segue on that. It's gonna be like that part of Spaceballs where they got the Perry Air can. That's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> and lighten up the mood a little bit, but stay serious on the America First agenda because coming in right now, we've got both of their audios loading up. Georgia 10 representative in the midterm election, Mike Collins and Tennessee Fives representative in the midterm election. Robbie Starbuck are going to be joining us for an America First roundtable edition, two of the uh, shining stars of the America First movement. And uh, both of them are running for House seats in the 2022 midterms. Can introduce, uh, well, you may know him if you saw on Twitter this weekend, he rolled into CPAC and and he was honking pretty loud. Um, He's conservative to the core, pro-Trump outsider running for Congress in Georgia 10. Mike Collins, thanks for coming back with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's great to have you, sir. How's everything going with you? You know, everything is still going just wide open. Fantastic. Um, You know, they just came out with some recent polling. I think it's about two weeks old now, but we went from from starting out at 9% last June to 25% in November. Now we're at 36%. And, uh, you know, the second place person out of a 10 people race now is at 11% 11% versus 10%. So, but you know, we still run like we're all tied up in knots. And uh, I think that's uh, because we're just so darn competitive anyway. Yeah, we, we wouldn't run any other way. We've been, we've been reading those numbers. I think that's from the USA Today poll. I saw that about 10 days ago and we've been re- reading it on the show and we're very excited about those numbers. 
Um, also joining us today, he's running for Congress in Middle Tennessee. He's a Cuban-American, director and producer. Everybody knows him and loves him. Robbie Starbuck, thanks for coming back with us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to be back. How's everything going with you, sir? What's going on on your end? Well, since we last spoke, there was a tiny bit of news in my race. Um, you know, so there is, I think it became sort of a national story. It was trending everywhere, you know, when that whole situation happened uh, where Trump endorsed Morgan Ortegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the guy, but obviously, you know, I think the base made their voice heard that that was not the person the base is behind for this election. Um, and, you know, he was talking about polling in his race, polling in my race has come back and um, for the full district after people know that she's endorsed by Trump, we're still beating her by 25 points. So, you know, his endorsement means a ton, but that whole situation getting into the news the way it did really showed voters her track record. You know, I mean, this is somebody who senior advisor at the Atlantic Council, which primarily, you know, it gets its funding from a lot of globalist places, including Soros's Open Societies yep. Foundation, um, you know, all the issues that there there've been in terms of, you know, sort of the rhino background, having been a bushy, somebody who was very pro Jeb who attacked Trump in 2016, you know, I think people were able to sort of connect the dots and go, this is maybe not the person I want fighting for me. Yeah, it was very interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of loving the way it's it's uh, it's rolling out right now and, and, and the dispositions we're getting on it. If you asked me when that announcement came, did I feel like by the end of the day I'd be shit posting on social medias with Madison Cawthorn and, and talking in the DMs with them about you know, how we're going to uh, go and back your campaign, I would have said probably not, but that's what wound up happening, and it was good to see, you know, the real America first base come and rally around you. I mean, that was what was so incredible is nobody's ever seen anything like the reaction that happened after that. I mean, we had Marjorie Taylor Greene came out and endorsed me. Candace Owens came out and said, no, this is wrong. Robbie Starbucks is a guy. You had Madison Cawthorn step up. You had uh, Rep Massey stand up and endorse me. You had, I mean, it just goes on and on. You had, you know, lawyers for President Trump and people internally. Politico reported Don Jr., you know, went out there and fought for me. You know, that's not something we've seen happen. So um, I think that in general, it really has sent a message to the people. And being very honest, you know, I think when this race came up to President Trump, I don't think he realized it was the race that I was in. Um, or I think we may have had a very different outcome. You know, I think that there was a little bit of confusion about it because it's technically been a re- redrawn district. And right. I think may have presented to him as a new district. And um, maybe there was even some confusion. I don't know. But I think, you know, President Trump's fantastic. I love the guy. I've been an unwavering supporter, will continue to be. I think that this is just one, you know, race where a mistake got made. Yeah. And it's a hurdle that you've uh, obviously cleared. And we're very thankful for that. Mike, you mentioned some poll numbers, um, but we want to hear a little bit about your race. You've been picking up a lot of steam as well. Um, You can piggyback off of those poll number comments. You've, like you said, you're running like you're tied, but you're definitely pulling away and it's because of all the work you're doing. I mean, it doesn't matter what time of the day I log into social media is you're out there either on the truck at a speaking event or doing, you know, uh, passing out signs uh, all over, uh, you know, your district. How's everything been going with yours? And if you want to talk about any of the uh, primary challengers you got going on right now. You know, we we have knocked over 10,000 doors in this race. And, and if, if I sound a little hoarse, it's because I'm still hoarse from this past weekend on giving all those interviews and talking down at CPAC. But uh, just the mere fact that we passed 10,000 doors knocking, and that that's not counting four in a household as four doors. 
that's individual doors. And that was almost a month ago that we did that. We've stabbed over 3,000 yard signs in people's yards that have requested yard signs. And uh, like you said, we've done well over, I don't know how many hundreds of in different speaking engagements. And I think it's just the fact that people see someone that was born, raised, live, works, families here, businesses here, right here in the 10th district. And, and we're looking for someone, I mean, out of 800,000 people, we've got enough people running this race that do actually live here. But I actually reflect the 10th district. Yep. And, and I feel like that's what is just resonating so much with, with this district. We are a blue collar district. Uh, the largest city we have is Athens, Georgia, with the University of Georgia there. But uh, and, and that's probably the most liberal part of it. But otherwise, man, these are just we're, we're just folks that get up every day, go to work, want to provide for our families, go to church on Sunday and leave us the hell alone. That's all we want. And, and, and I know that when people see us, they see two things. They see Donald Trump. They see, because I tell pro, people every day I am pro-Trump. I am very unapologetically pro-Trump. And that's because when I saw him early on in Atlanta, Georgia, with about 45 other people in that house, uh, man, I was taken right then. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I maxed out to the guy because I believed in what he had to say, which became the America First agenda. And, uh, and I'm telling you, that's resonating. We've got people that have entered this race. Um, we've had upwards of three people that were in this race that don't even live in the district that can't even actually vote for themselves. We are down to two. One has, has gotten out as of last week. There's 10 people in this race. Um, Donald Trump pulled the art of the deal cleverly on uh, Vernon Jones, who was running for governor. And, and we watched Vernon actually negotiate himself right out of the governor's race. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Donald Trump didn't, didn't endorse him to run for Congress. He endorsed him to get out of the governor's race. So, in other words, if if Vernon Jones would have said, "I want to run for dog catcher," Donald Trump would have said, "Yes, sir. Let me. I'll sign it right now." He he wanted him out of the way, and I firmly believe that when they figured out he was coming down here to the 10th district, they said that Collins will take care of him because everybody over here in the 10th district knows this Joker. They know that they we know he's a crook. We we've seen him for years. This guy does not live anywhere near the 10th district and doesn't even doesn't reflect the 10th district values. And uh, we are bringing that out everywhere we go, right down to CPAC, uh, to right down to the fact that, uh, you know, VernonForCongress.com is my website. <laughs> I like it. And, uh, you know, both of you guys had uh, some, some interesting situations, to say the least, in your districts, but... It's because of this movement and how much more people are engaged now than they would say were prior to the 2020 presidential election, where they're really reading between the lines, listening to policies, looking up speeches online and seeing what your campaign platforms are. I think that's what's really resonating with um, the people now. And it doesn't matter, you know, necessarily whose name's on it or or what is going on in regards to anything with the, with you guys' campaigns. If you guys are the true America first candidates and that grassroots movement is going to be behind you 100 percent. Well, I would Amen. say, you know, it's, you. it's all about consistency, too, because, you know, when you look at this, there's a lot of people who claim that they're something now, but you look back at their track record and it's very clear they're not. And I think that's something resonating with voters. One commonality between our races, too, is that we're both running against people who don't live in our district. Right. Um, the 
I'm running against also does not live in this congressional district. She lives in a different one. And she just moved to Tennessee a couple months ago. She just registered to vote in November. So that's like three months ago. Um, you know, that's that's just, I think, to most voters, a red flag. Yeah, 100 percent. So, all right, guys, let's move in and tackle some issues. Mike, I'll start with you. Obviously, it's the one that's been dominating the news headlines for the last two weeks, more specifically the last six days, and it's what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Based off what you've seen in the media so far and uh, some of the rhetoric that's been coming out of, you know, there's a lot of neocons out there who are calling for one thing, and then our administration has been very apprehensive to do anything uh, on either side of the coin. What do you think, uh, what's your take on the whole situation going on right now over there? I, you know what it is, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the bad administrative policies that we have of America last. That, that's it first and foremost. If you want to put it in a little nutshell, this administration has put us in such a position of weakness that it, and, and, and they've done it by also in engaging or not engaging, but uh, allowing Putin to, uh, to have enough money to go out there and do these things that he's doing. Putin is nothing but a thug. Mm -hmm. We all know that. But uh, now we're in a position now where we have basically paid him enough money to where he can afford to go do stuff like this. And, and, and I look at things from a business standpoint, you know, when, when we shut down that Keystone pipeline again, and then decide that we're going to buy all our oil from foreign sources, including Russia. And, and then you've got China standing in the background. I know y'all, y'all hear me talk about China. I know we did the last time it was, it's, it's one of my pet peeves that we've got to fix. But, uh, but, but China's helping finance that war over there with Russia. We know that. And, and here we are still sending a lot of our money and a lot of our retail money to China. And, and it's just a vicious circle. And until we stop that, and, and Lord knows, look at the position that we're in with the debt that we have occurred, the deficits that we're running, uh, the inflation that we're running. We, we can't even afford to go if, if we wanted to. And I don't want to send troops over to Ukraine. I don't see any need to. But unless, unless we get a handle on our situation right here at home and start doing some immediate fixes, um, we've got a lot more of this coming. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we've got a lot more that we're going to have to endure. So what we need to do is make sure that we put the right people in office. And, and we need – we'll win the House and the Senate, no doubt about it. We'll, we'll gain majority. But, but, Lord help, people, please look at these folks that are running. Just like what Robbie was just saying, look at everybody and pick out the right people. Don't just put R in the seat. Put the right Republicans up there, people that will have a backbone that will stand up and do what is necessary to get our financial situation back in order, get it, get us back in order so that we're out there as a as a position of strength. And, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of it. We can we can coerce a lot of things to happen as long as we are a strong nation. And right now, boy, we look like we look like a joke. Well, you're, you're, you're definitely correct in that uh, assumption. And it, it's one of those things where when you look, go down the list and look at all of the, you know, Obama junior staffer retreads that got put into this administration, especially cabinet positions all the way from like the chief of staff to 
all the people who worked under and with Susan Rice in the, in the, during the Obama years to, you know, some of those revenge hires, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas was under several investigations when he was the head of CIS under Obama. And then, of course, you have Merrick Garland, who can't put it out there any different. You know, he, he's he's been on like a revenge course against the conservative movement for him not getting elected to the Supreme Court ever since he took the oath to be a cabinet member So and, and lead the DOJ. It's been really interesting to see how that's all played out. But a lot of unqualified people in there who, who seem like they have an agenda that's America last. Robbie, I'll stick on that and, and ask you the same thing. What are you seeing right now? What's your opinion on, on what's going on between Russia and Ukraine? I think that in general, you know, when you look at this whole situation, I think people have kind of confused what it's all about. And I think that it's made us focus on some of the wrong things would be my argument, you know, because in many ways, what should really matter to us in our system is the permissiveness that this is going to produce for China to go and enact their will in different ways. And the real danger, all the people scream about World War III with Russia, the real danger here is actually in what China does next. Because if China does go and try to take Taiwan, now we're in a serious situation that is is way beyond what we're looking at now. Um, because there are commitments that we've made to Taiwan that we can't really get out of. And if we were to go and defend Taiwan, it's going to produce a, a really, really unstable situation. And so that's what my concern is more so been. What is China going to do next? But when you look at the situation there in Russia, you know, I think that it's very clear, like Mike said, I mean, everybody knows Putin, what he is. He's he's a thug. He's not this is not a well-intentioned actor. I mean, I think that in this situation, he's gone way beyond the bounds of, you know, what their claims are, which is, you know, protecting, you know, the sovereignty of what they consider an independent area. This has moved way beyond that sort of argument. And this has moved into a territory where I think his clear aim is to try to make the West look feckless and to try to make the West look like, you know, essentially the old things that were supposed to be veneers of strength are no longer in place, that they're not real. They're a paper tiger. And I think that that's really the deepest goal here. But I do think that things are not going the way that Putin planned for them to go. I think that they did not expect the resistance level that has been produced. And I think that certain things are very dangerous that we're doing. You know, like today, we, um, you know, I saw uh, a member of the Senate, I want to say, I can't remember who it was, but a member of the Senate, they put out a statement saying that they're not only going to freeze the assets of Putin and the oligarchs, but that they're going to seize them. And seizing them is sort of a different battleground. And the thing that does sort of, you know, worry me a bit is that there has been rumors for about a year and a half in D.C. that are really well sourced that uh, Putin is dealing with a neurological issue. And, uh, you know, there's been speculation from Parkinson's to a form of brain cancer and that he's not in a great health position. Um, if those rumors are true and they come from very high you know, sources within the government, I would say we are looking at an even more dangerous situation because if you corner an animal like Putin and they feel like they don't have many options left for survival, they're bound to do really crazy things. And yep. so I am a little bit worried about that, that we may be pushing them into a corner where he may see very few options for survival. No, I, I completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things you, you just have to take into account all the factors and, and what's going on. I, I like how you mentioned, you know, China and Taiwan, and that would definitely open up a Pandora's box of, of a lot of different things. And because it's definitely not the same vibe, it's not 
probably for the same reasons that, you know, Russia and Ukraine is happening right now. And uh, it would definitely put us in a position to where, okay, like you said, we would we would probably be obligated to do a lot more, even militarily, if that happened. But then it kind of sets a weird precedent because, you know, you're going to let the people of Ukraine burn and then go help Taiwan. It's cool because we have, you know, different longstanding history with Taiwan, but at the same time, just optics of it look bad. Yeah, no, optically definitely looks bad. I think it's easily explainable, you know, in terms of the agreements that are in place. But it is a situation where, you know, if you let these countries, if you essentially, I mean, this all goes back to the root of what we were talking about earlier. Joe Biden's weakness caused all of this. There's no question that if Joe Biden wasn't there, it's almost and this is what's so frustrating. It's like you almost intentionally have to try to look as weak as we look right now. That's the job Joe Biden has done. And I think that's reflected in all the poll numbers we're seeing before the State of the Union tonight reflect an American populace that is looking around going, we need a change. This is a problem. This guy is not fit for office. And I think that's that's becoming acutely, you know, um, pushed into the consciousness of even people who are kind of casual voters in America because they're looking around like there's no way this would have happened under Trump. I think the number that came out in New York Post the other day was 67 percent of people said this wouldn't have happened under Trump. And I think, you know, they're absolutely right. There's Mm -hmm. no way this would have happened because there was an unpredictability in place. You know, same thing as our gas prices. You know, people who cried about mean tweets don't realize that Trump's mean tweets about OPEC is what produced low gas prices in large part, along with us, you know, innovating here at home and becoming an exporter of energy instead of an importer. You know, but those those things actually do have a value, even if you don't like them. They throw off world leaders and make them feel like, wow, the West is unpredictable. The United States is unpredictable. We don't know what they'll do in reaction if we do X crazy thing that negatively impacts them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got to get back to that sort of picture of strength. And I think that the first step there is 2022, establishing that the American people are going to elect very strong America first candidates that are going to put a stop to the type of weakness that Joe Biden has been, you know, essentially, you know, funneling out into the world. Right. No, it's it's an excellent point that you make there, and uh, definitely one of the things that people are taking to the to the ballot box in the midterm elections. I'd like to add into a little bit of that, though. You know, there there is a difference in China and and Russia. Though, mm-hmm. I mean, Russia is about what ten percent of what the Soviet Union used to be, so they're they're not really that big. They're they're actually easy to control with with the just by cutting off the the flow of the oil and the fuel. And uh, that because that's basically all they are is a gas station over there. Yeah. So you can control them. But the problem on the China side is just the mere fact that they produce so much of our goods. And we have let them sneak into our economy to a point to where, you know, they're financing our debt. We don't know how much they've got our pharmaceuticals. They've got our, our computer chips. And, and we have got to tackle a whole range of issues Right off the bat, because if people aren't awake to what China is and what their actual end game is now and by now, I don't I don't know what to wake people up. But that's that's the situation. China is a much more different, difficult situation. We we can crush Russia pretty quick. Yeah, I would add in there about China that, you know, on that front. Here's the here's the reality that is so dangerous. You let them take Taiwan. 
China is the undisputed superpower of the world because yep. it's essentially saying we brought the U.S. to heal. And that's the that's really the biggest problem, because then they're going to go around the world making deals through their Belt and Road Initiative where they're going to they're going to go absolutely wild, you know, bringing people in in different countries and bringing them under their purview. And they will then answer to China instead of to us. And that is a dangerous prospect for many different reasons. But like Mike was saying, you know, one of the things about 2022 that we can sort of establish is, number one, we can either force Biden into a position to do America first things by proxy of the American people standing behind them and him having no real choice or force him to not sign them, which then helps whoever we have in 2024 if it's President Trump running or somebody else, you know, that is sort of the advantage we have. Like, let's take pharmaceuticals. He talked about that. About 70 percent of our pharmaceuticals touch Chinese shores. OK, there's no excuse for that. It's a national security issue at any point in time. If they went and poisoned our pharmaceuticals, they could do that at the same time as shutting down all the farmland. They own more farmland than the size of the state of Ohio in the United States right now. If they go and they shut down all of that agribusiness at once, at the same time that they do that, they go and they pull the rug out under us economically and then attack us. I mean, they can hit us from all fronts all at once, whereas our ability to do the same thing to China is very limited. We're kind of, you know, dependent on a militaristic platform in terms of how we can hold them to account and some economic. But we're sort of a little more hamstrung in that regard because of our dependence on them. And that's what we've got to deal with first is get us off of, of the dependence on China. Amen. And, and, and the sad thing is we brought it on ourselves. Yeah. We, we let, we let bureaucrats and, and these left-wing lunatics creep their way into our lives to the point where they have chased off a lot of this industry through regulations and taxes over the years that uh, that people had no choice, and and they sent that st- that that manufacturing overseas, and and we also let immigration take over and and go rampant with Chinese and with their stinking Confucius institutions, and 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 letting Chinese come over here to take our jobs at half price, and then just haul that intellectual right back over there just to produce that cheap Chinese crap and send it back over here. You know, there used to be a time in this country when you looked at Chinese products and you said, man, that's cheap. I don't need that. I want, I want something with some value to it. But then we got into a, a complacency where everything was just bought at, you know, cheap as it could be. And uh, the Chinese, they, I, that's, I'm telling you, that is the number one issue from a foreign threat that we have by far over anything else in this world right now. Yeah, it's 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 as clear as day when you look at just line those two nations up right there. Well, you, you go know, out and you try to buy something that's made in USA versus in in China. It's it's your hard pressed yeah. to find it, and then you find all the bullshit designed in USA. Like you actually have somebody with the audacity to put an American flag on their product next to designed in USA. So basically, that just means that. Some asshole sitting in a bar drew something on a napkin, took a picture of it, emailed it to China, and then he was able they to do that. They assembled it there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, everything from all the stuff we buy from China in regards to trade and then, you know, Russian oil circling back to that. It's uh, approximately 23 million barrels a month. And believe it or not, we increased that amount by almost 700,000 barrels just last week when this was all popping off. Mm. So, you know, we're saying one thing, doing another. And this comes to the day where China... You know, the CCP released a statement this morning that called the United States the, the real greatest threat 
to the world. And uh, it's just kind of interesting to see that that came out. In addition to that, I want to go and just talk about, you know, as we're going to get ready to jump into stuff about State of the Union, we're talking about these guys and their opinions on this stuff. Very well informed and and. They know what's going on with the foreign policy and the trade stuff about knowing who you vote for. I'm not going to say who it was, but I saw someone who's a sitting House member today jump on Fox News this morning. I had to go back and rewind it because I didn't think I was hearing the right thing. They're talking about that convoy that's right now, you know, it's supposedly 40 miles long. It's on the way to the Ukraine capital. And this guy was talking about how strategically one of the best moves for the United States could be sending a squadron of A-10s over there to take them out. One of the largest nuclear powers in the world. We're just going to bomb a convoy of, uh, you know, 40 miles worth of trucks in a war we're technically not involved in right now. And that should probably end no. greatly. This is someone who's sitting in the House who, of Representatives. Who said this? Uh, it might have been Brian Mast. I'm not sure. I'm uh. pretty sure when I rewound it, that's what his name said. But this, that, this is this is indescribably stupid. Yes. 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 Yeah. Indescribably stupid. And I don't I don't care who said it. You know, um, whoever said it, it's in it's I mean, just. If you want to get us into a nuclear war, then sure, knock yourself out. But here's the reality, and Mass should know this. They just got – Ukraine just got a bunch of fighter uh, jets just given to them yeah. by Poland. Yep. Okay? And another country is going to be giving them fighter jets too. So if they want to take out that convoy, they can do it themselves. They have the ability. So that's the reality they've got to face. It's not like if we send our planes up there, Russia's going to go, oh, you know what? It's the American planes that are going to bomb us, so let's not go and fight with them. They're, they're going to treat us the same way as an enemy combatant. So why would we, out of our own volition, say, you know what? Yeah, let's go send our guys to go potentially die there and kick off a potential nuclear war. It's, I, I just think it's, it's a ludicrous, ludicrous idea, especially if you were going to get involved in the war. Um, that is not how you would do it. That is probably the most salacious way you could do it. Yes, to say the least. All right, boys, let's let's switch gears here. It is it is March first. That means it's the State of the Union address. We did see some recent developments come out of that. Some of the the what you call it uh, speech tonight will be released. It's going to talk about how Joe Biden ended COVID. He's the greatest jobs president ever. The economy is bouncing back because of everything he's touched and a lot of green new deal stuff in there. Mm. Um, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, we saw, well, let's just touch on the COVID stuff and then you can get into that whole list of things I saw, or I, I just teased to everybody. We saw the restrictions by the CDC, just a little tweaking of the numbers turned 90% of the country from COVID risk high to maybe like 10% of the country COVID risk high now. And, uh, you know, it was supposed to be maybe only a few people were going to be invited. Now everyone's going to be there. If they get a COVID test, they don't have to wear a mask during the State of the Union. You know, what's your uh, little preview for our listenership today and what you uh, expect to hear from, from Joe Biden tonight? Oh, shit. It's, it's nothing but theater, man. This is That's what this has always been. It's theater. It, it's politics. And, 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 and I don't want to change the subject much, but I think that just speaks volumes as to why we have had these trucker convoys out here and just average everyday ordinary people standing up and saying, damn, this is enough. Y'all we've had enough because they see through the charade. You know, it is, it is funny how miraculous it, it happened uh, right in time for the, uh, the state of the union address that uh, now all masks are gone and, and the CDC is backing off a lot of this stuff. It's because I think that they see that the American people are freaking waking up. And, uh, and and I tell you what, it, it'd be nice if the convoy was already up there at D.C. and just surround it and uh, let them hear a little bit of honk honk tonight. 
Robbie, what do you expect to hear from the president tonight when he takes uh, when when he jumps into the halls of Congress and uh, gives the State of the Union? I think that he's going to essentially make the argument that he has the solutions to fix all the problems that he created, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, I think that's going to be kind of the tone and the message here. And I think that it's going to it's going to offer us up, you know, if he really goes down the Green New Deal route, which I think is a, really one of the dumbest things he could do. I think if he goes that route, it's going to lay bare to the American people how divorced from reality he is, you know, because everybody knows at this point that that whole sort of ideology towards energy is not only failing, it's directly responsible for why you're paying what you're paying at the pump, you know, and I think that that's something that people are kind of they're not going to be very forgiving on you know those everyday issues that actually affect people that come from their wallet that's the stuff that's really going to hurt him um but you know in general i think it's a whole lot of of that you know i alone can fix the problems i created and then on the flip side of that he's going to try to take a victory lap on a bunch of stuff that nobody cares about that's sort of my prediction and i think that it's going to go down oh i'll make another prediction i guarantee he will have at least three major blunders in his speech where people go, what did he just say? Um, because that's like an almost guarantee at this point that the guy can't get through a 30. I, I mean, that's the other thing. How long are they going to put him up there to talk for? How long does the shot that they give him last <laughs> to keep him looking like he can actually be coherent? You know, is he up there 30 minutes, an hour? I don't know. But whatever it is, I think the over under set at three is pretty, uh, pretty fair. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good uh, estimate right there. I think I think you'll lean in at least once and he'll stop whispering. Oh no! Oh, I hope we get the whisper yelling. <laughs> I like the whisper yelling. That's my favorite. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I wanted to ask you about the the trucker convoy that's going on right now. What is the uh, update on that? And and uh, you know how how what what is the end game there for them? They, I know they're rolling towards DC. What what do they plan on doing once they get there? Well, you know the the end game is to to mandate that we we get our freedoms back. And, and also that they end this emergency uh, deal that they have where we have just given all of our freedoms over to the federal government. And the third thing that they've been asking for is that we investigate. We investigate the origins of COVID and just how we got to the situation that we're at today uh, where we have just basically told the federal government to tell us everything that we need to do. That's that's essentially it. You know, and 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 I find it really ironic that uh that the vehicle being used to to carry this message is the an industry that is the most regulated and taxed industry in this country. Yep. And 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 from a group of people and, and me being a part of it for over 30 years, but a group of people that have always been told every time regulations come down the pike, just deal with it. Take it and deal with it. And uh, boy, I tell you what, the, those vaccine mandates on cross borders, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was good to see it. It's fantastic. I, I really love this industry. But, uh, you know, it, you, it makes you extra proud when you are a part of this industry and knowing that we are standing up, not just for trucking, not just for drivers, but every single American and, and our Canadians up there too. That uh, and, and boy, I tell you what, you know, you talk about seeing just how much the federal government has control over your life. Uh, look at what Canadian government did to those people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they, they took everything they had and put them in jail. 
So uh, it's a, it's a, it, that's what we see coming. They've started out on the West Coast, headed east. Uh, I plan on jumping in and, and uh, riding. Uh, we've got uh, the Red Pete that was down at CPAC. We call her the Big Red Wave. We're going to jump in somewhere around South Georgia. I don't know how far I'll get because it's also qualifying week next week. <laughs> uh, so we've got we got to work out the logistics on that. Uh, but uh, we certainly want to be in D.C. when it rolls in. Nice. Nice. Good to hear. Guys, last thing I want to touch with you on, and I, I think it's really important, just probably equally if not more important, is the races you're both in, which are the, you know, the America First trying to – to get everything straightened out in this country, which you guys laid out a lot of great information for our listenership to hear and, and making an informed decision come November. It's what happens after that. You don't want to look too far ahead, but one of the things I think we could definitely focus on right now, especially uh, in the current state of the House and Senate, is leadership. Robbie, I'll start with you. What are some of the things you'd like to see in regards to leadership, and is it long past overdue, in your opinion, for uh, uh, you know top-to-bottom change of it once the midterm elections are over? I think the midterm elections are a barometer of what the American people want. And so when we look at the results of it, if we see the type of America first wave I think we're going to see, I think there's no doubt you have to, you know, make sure that that's reflected in leadership. The question is, you know, in terms of what we're looking for in leadership, I would say, you know, let's take a hypothetical scenario where you're, you know, choosing who's going to be our leader. I think you need to look for who's the most conservative person in a safe seat with the parliamentary experience to actually lead a strategy, okay? Um, those are the most important things. A lot of people have said, you know, they have to be a great fundraiser. Honestly, I think our fundraising system is not something that's conducive to getting the best representatives. I think that, you know, and I talked to a bunch of different members of Congress, so many of them feel this way. They think that the system of fundraising all year long is kind of sick. You know, we spend more time fundraising and on on donor calls and stuff like that than we do on issues. And it's out of necessity because you have to be able to battle. So I think that actually a good leader going forward would be somebody who says, OK, we've got to look at how we can change this system so that our representatives are doing the job the founders intended of representing their districts and spending more time in their districts and less time forced to go fundraise. That's an excellent point you make right there, and uh, definitely something that we'll we'll be tracking as we head into the midterm elections. Mike, what do you think? Leadership in the House, um, you know, you don't have to say who you would uh, be picking right off the bat, but do you think it's time for 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 a change and something that would probably match the the huge red wave in the America First movement? A lot of different people than the establishment, country club, you know, neocon GOPers that are in there now. A whole lot of people that are like owning small businesses coming from elements outside of, of the political spectrum. Let's just say Robbie was in the entertainment business for so long and, and people like that. What do you think? I think Starbucks hitting the nail on the head uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, but I'll tell you what else I'm looking for. And, and, and I'll tell you what people in my district want. They want somebody to go up there and fight, fight like hell to get our America first agenda back. And when I look for someone to be the speaker, the leader of our party up there, that's what I want. I want that same thing. That's why I can't understand why we've got Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger still in this conference. Yep. They should have been long gone. We should have hung up those guys that voted to impeach our president, even the ones that voted for that stinking infrastructure bill. But you get me somebody up there with some guts that understands, you know, and, 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 and I'll tell you, like, I'm not worried about it. 
I get up there and I get sent home, and most likely you get sent home from the Republican Party before you will the Democrats, because they'll figure out how to get rid of you because you're rocking the boat. I'm tired of this. It's not your turn. It's his turn or her turn, and they've been here long, whatever. Not, I'm not interested in that. You give me somebody up there to run that place like a business. Give me a plan. This is what we want done in the first 90 days. The, the same thing I do down here in this business that I've got. Give me somebody that tells me we want 90-day plan, six-month plan, one-year plan, and a three-year plan. And, and if, if you can't handle it and you're in charge of that committee, boom, go. Give me somebody else that's willing to fight. Because I'm telling you, brother, we're at the end of the rope on this thing. We're, we're at, we are at a very critical point. And, and I need people up there that believe that, that understand that, and are willing to fight for it. This go along, get along, go out to eat lunch and the cocktail parties, man, throw that crap out. Get up there and fight like hell. Get our country straightened out. And then if y'all want some managers to go up there and hang out for a while, I'll come on back home. But uh, but that's what we need right now. It's definitely uh, seems pretty simple. It's a simple equation on how mm-hmm. we could fix the things. And it, it seems like right now we're, we're definitely moving in that direction um, with the, uh, you know, strategy that we're using as a grassroots movement and, well, it just clearly see in the popularity we see with candidates like you guys who who come from outside of the political spectrum and uh, I've pretty much dominated it with a message that resonates to both, uh, you know, the middle class men and women who uh, are the heart and soul of this country and uh, the families that they represent. So, gentlemen, this has been awesome having you guys on today. You know, we know you guys are both extremely busy. I'm still amazed for the fact that we were able to get you both on at the same time. It just seems like the stars have aligned. And uh, you gave our listenership just a, an absolute treat in the form of an America First roundtable. We, do, of course, are going to invite you all back. Mike, we're going to get you on for a solo segment here soon. And then, Robbie, I know we've already talked about it. We'd love to have you and your wife to come on uh, together and talk about some of the issues and uh, maybe a little bit more family-centered interview. Yeah, we'd love that. That'd be so fun. Perfect. Mike, starting with you, why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you across social medias, your your campaign website, and how they can get out there and start donating, knocking on doors, helping you hang signs, and uh, really, really get out there and support your campaign. Sure. You know, we're, we're down to the short rows on this thing now that, you know, uh, early voting starts in the beginning of May, and then uh, our primary is May 24th, and, and I could certainly use your help. Uh, as Robbie said, man, these things aren't cheap. It's not, it's not cheap to run a campaign. And uh, you can go to MikeCollinsGA.com. That's our website. You can use MikeCollinsGA, and you can float across all of the entire social media platforms uh, to find information on us. And, and, and like I, said, I always tell people, please do. You need, to, you need to look hard at us. I've got all my issues on our website, and I don't mind discussing them. You can chat with us right there, and, and, and I'll be glad to answer any questions you got. We need your help. If you happen to live in the 10th District of Georgia, I could sure use your vote and your support, but uh, I appreciate y'all having me on and I look forward to being on anytime you need us to be nice. Yeah. And we're going to continue to pump you guys out as you know, you guys are doing such an amazing job, Robbie, our listenership, if they're not already following you, your website, and then uh, where they could find you across social medias. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'll shout out the same thing. Election day for us is actually August 4th. So it's a later primary. So there's time for you to get involved from anywhere in the country. If you don't live in Tennessee, you can do phone calling for us to voters in our district. So if you're in a safe Republican district or a safe Democrat district where you really have no shot of getting a Republican in there, say it's Nancy Pelosi's district, 
then come make phone calls for us so that we can get this over the line and get Real America First people in. You can donate at Starbuck2022.com. That's Starbuck2022.com. And then follow me on any social media platform at Robbie Starbuck, R-O-B-B-Y Starbuck. Perfect. Gentlemen, these are... Again, it's it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you guys today. Like you said, we're going to get both of you back before your primaries and uh, definitely be directing our listenership, as you can see, through our social medias to support both of you and the America First movement. These are the men who are looking to represent in the 2022 midterms, Tennessee 5 and Georgia 10. Robbie Starbuck and Mike Collins, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, it was always great having those guys back on the show. I think uh, having them both together was awesome. Yeah, that was a solid team up. And uh, like they said, they're both doing very well in their respective polls right now. They both have considerable leads, but, you know, with primaries not coming until May and August, the more popular the populist, nationalist, America first, grassroots candidates become, the more you can expect smear campaigns and and stuff from the establishment to, uh, you know, make their lives a little bit harder before we get to primary election day. So keep them both in mind, keep supporting them the way our listenership always does. You know, I, that's a huge credit. I always see such great responses from the people we have on the show, because you guys know that we really work hard to vet and bring you the most America first candidates. And those are two of the shining stars in the movement right now. So great to have them back and we'll look forward to hearing from them again before the primaries. Uh, CPAC wrapped up Sunday. We had a, uh, what some people are calling the real State of the Union address from Donald Trump, who bumped himself up to Saturday instead of speaking on Sunday. But uh, he gave a really strong speech, definitely some new tones there, and was well-received by the audience. Do have a little bit of a pregame, though. Some of our friends were uh, doing the rounds. One who's going to be back with us, I think, Friday, Mr. Cash Patel did a uh, John Durham roundtable. Let's hear him kind of uh, give everybody an update from CPAC before he gives us an update at the end of this week. As a former federal prosecutor, what are we looking at right now? What's going to happen? I think I hinted at it before. I think this summer you're going to see a bunch of uh, indictments drop from John Durham's office. I think it's not going to get to the senior, senior levels that we hope for. I think that'll come later in his report. But you should look for indictments to reach the deputy director levels of the FBI to get those guys that were in meetings, Peter Strzok, the Lovebirds, Lisa Page, Fusion GPS, all of these guys that perpetuated the biggest fraud in U.S. history and lied about it are going to be brought to justice under John Durham's investigation. Mm. I like the sound of that. There's probably a lot of nervous people floating around in the lower echelons of those agencies. There's probably a lot of nervous people not clapping during him saying that <laughs> stuff either. That's like, uh, uh, what was that British comedian that did the uh, the Emmys? And he was like making fun of all the child molesters and pedophiles who were friends with, with Epstein. Yep. And like the uncomfortable looks that they kept catching. And they like cut to the right people too. Amazing. Of course they did. Never forget the look on Tom Hanks' face. Oh, Woody. Ooh, Woody. I don't want to play with you anymore. Oh, There you go. National Treasure. What? And Senator. Oh, not the movie. No. It's a throwback. Right. Nick, we miss you. Yeah, we do. John Kennedy spoke on the main stage. And uh, we all know that he feels that love is the answer. There's a semicolon there as well. 
Let's hear it. There's one more thing I believe. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. I don't hate anybody. I look for grace wherever I can find it. There's always something on God's green earth for us to be thankful for. I believe that love is the answer. I do. I believe that love is the answer. But you ought to own a handgun just in case. (laughs) Only from him. I liked it. I do think, though, uh, the strongest undercard to Donald Trump on Saturday came in the form of a man that's representing the medical field and one of the strongest uh, proprietors of the anti-COVID-19 response narrative. And that's none other than Dr. Peter McCullough. He was there and uh, gave a really great and powerful speech. And I pulled a good clip from it. I want you all to listen to it in case you missed it. Once someone gets through the illness, that they have a degree of protection, a degree of immunity, natural immunity, that gives them robust and durable protection from serious outcomes of a second infection, which can now occur with the Omicron variant, which broke through natural immunity. We know that. This is very important. Got me. How many of you in the room have been through COVID-19? Let's see a show of hands. 70%. 70% you can be assured that you're safe, you're secure, Hmm. you are free to go about and live your life with no restrictions, with no mandates, with no encumbrances. For you, this pandemic is effectively over with. It's over with. And because there are so many of you and so many of us who have been through the illness, the emergency phase of this pandemic is over with. I love it. It's over with. The emergency is gone. The crisis is resolved. There will be some residual cases and skilled doctors will be able to handle these cases with now an array of effective therapeutics that we have at our disposal pretty uh did you hear him say that there would be residual cases <laughs> five residual cases six boosters <laughs> it's pretty funny uh you know i didn't incorporate it into the show today but jen Saki and a couple other people from the administration have had to field questions regarding the weirdness of the cdc changing the equation that goes into what you know, makes the United States essentially 90% a hot zone for COVID. And then after tweaking the numbers, now it's like less than 20%. Day before the State of the Union. Weird. And right before all the final filings. Does that sound like science to you? Especially in places like California, where they don't have to uh, now field questions about mandates because the emergency is over. California is ending their... Well, they field questions about mandates. Mm. How dare you? <laughs> California's ending their restrictions one day before the registration deadline to run for office here. And apparently after March 12th, kids won't have to wear masks in school anymore. 
San Diego County uh, still upheld theirs, though. Yeah, we'll see about that mm-hmm. since my kids aren't going to be wearing them. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a little bit of the pregame for Saturday. And it brought us to our main event. Teased already is Donald Trump in delivering what some are considering to be the real State of the Union address. Um, did you catch any of it, Noah? I did not. Uh, more than just a couple clips. But, I mean, if Anonymous is going to hack something, maybe they should put the real State of the Union on top of the not State of the Union. Sleepy State of the Union tonight. <laughs> Listen here, Jack. The only, the only reason people are going to watch <clears throat> the actual State of the Union is to see how bad it is mm-hmm. and to see what he says, what his gaffes and, you know, whatever mistakes that happen. Yeah, for anybody that's listening today on Tuesday, March 1st, which is the day of the State of the Union, if you want to jump on to the... National Pulse Discord tonight. I'll be joining, well, the host, Raheem Kassam, in a uh, State of the Union live. Oh, nice. In there. In addition, you know, if that's not really your cup of tea, which is something that Raheem probably drinks from time to time because he is British. Um, <laughs> Steven Crowder's doing a live drinking game. So, oh, he, wow. You know how sideways those usually go. So if you don't want to. If you have to drink the whole bottle, if he says, look, here's the deal. Oh, God. I hope not. But uh, here is the deal. Let's get to Trump's opening remarks as he took the stage at CPAC. Thank you very much. And it's great to be back where it all started with the great patriots of CPAC. Thank you very much. Standing before you today, I'm thrilled to report that our incredible movement, a movement that nobody's ever seen anything quite like it, there has never been anything like it before, is strong and growing stronger every single day. Stronger. The radical left is exposed, they're weak, and their pathetic policies of been out there long enough now that we don't want them, we'll never take them. We are bringing back our country and we are bringing back our freedom. The socialists, globalists, Marxists, and communists who are attacking our civilization have no idea of the sleeping giant they have awoken. We are a sleeping giant. They cannot even begin to imagine the brave and righteous spirit they've unleashed in men and women like all of you here today. And this is some crowd. We broke the record again. We broke the record again. But they're going to find out the hard way starting on November 8th. And then again, even more so on November 2024, they will find out like never before <laughs> so there's him setting the tone <laughs> so good yeah it's it's one of those things where you know there's definitely more of a stately speech tone to his voice when he gets into like elongating all those vowels at the ends of words and saying everything is like bigger better greater than ever before are we getting mean tweets on truth social yet I mean, you're the only one that's on there, so I would I wouldn't know. Nah, I got him. Well, apparently Antoinette's on there too. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Devin Nunez, Cash Patel, and everybody else that's connected. I wish I was on there. Oh, thank you. Um, 
well, he, he came out swinging with a strong opening statement and went right after uh, some of his friends up on Capitol Hill that I'm sure miss him immensely. Let's hear it. We're going to end Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. Nice. And then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House in 2024 or sooner. Or sooner. Or sooner? Or sooner? Hmm. I like how, I mean, who doesn't like sooner? Don't get me started. Soon. Or sooner. (laughs) Being president is important, and he wanted to stress the importance of the office of the presidency. Um, He definitely thinks it's something that Joe Biden takes for granted and definitely is something that his handlers are doing a horrible job with. Mm -hmm. Let's hear him weigh in on it. The importance of the president, when I look at what's happening to our country today, the president is such an important representative. Now, we obviously know that. But just a wrong word or a wrong, like a yawn. Wrong. Or going to sleep very early, like at 4 o'clock. <laughs> no, you just can't. It's just uh, such an important it's so important, psychologically so important for our country. I never really realized to that extent. I knew it was important, but you assume you're going to be doing certain things that are right. We rebuilt our economy and energy independence and all of those things. But you also have to portray a strength to the outside world. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're going to walk all over you. And that's what they're doing right now. You could take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together and they would not have done the damage that Joe Biden and his administration has done in just a very short 13 months. That is not wrong. No. And no matter how you look at it, our country has totally lost its self-confidence. Lost its self-confidence. We as a country have no confidence anymore, but we will get it back and we'll get it back stronger than ever before. Whoever heard of that? Whoever heard of that? Our country has lost its self-confidence. Whoever heard of that? Whoever thought you'd be hearing? But it's true, we've lost our self-confidence when you see. It's real talk right there. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where, how do you think we feel? And, uh, you know, especially if, if you're more of like, the patriot mindset too, where you're like proud of where you live and you're proud of how you're looked at globally. And, uh, you know, you'd want to be like proud of your community and your job and stuff like that. And there's just so many different facets of everybody's life that are under attack. I remember being proud of my job. Hmm. Hey, stop it. (laughs) We love Walmart. Trump weighed in on, the issues going on between Russia and Ukraine talked about the uh, relationship or as he likes to put it agreement or understanding that he had with Vladimir Putin. Let's hear this one. Yesterday reporters asked me if I thought president Putin was smart. I said, of course he's smart to which I was greeted with, Oh, that's such a terrible thing to say. (laughs) 
I'd like to tell the truth. Yes, he's smart. The NATO nations, and indeed the world, as he looks over what's happening strategically with no repercussions or threats whatsoever, they're not so smart. They're looking the opposite of smart. If you take over Ukraine, we're going to sanction you, they say. Sanction? Well, that's a pretty weak statement. Putin is saying, oh, they're going to sanction me. They sanctioned me for the last 25 years. You mean I can take over a whole country and they're going to sanction me? You mean they're not going to blow us to pieces, at least psychologically? The problem is not that Putin is smart, which, of course, he's smart. But the real problem is that our leaders are dumb. <laughs> dumb. Damn! So dumb. And they so far allowed him to get away with this travesty and assault on humanity. That's what it is. This is an assault on humanity. So sad. Putin is playing Biden like a drum. And it's not a pretty thing as somebody that loves our country to watch. Just not a pretty thing to watch. You know, I was uh, with Putin a lot. I spent a lot of time with him. I got along with him. I got along with President Xi. I got along with Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un has massive nuclear power. It's a good thing to get along with people, not a bad thing. You can be very tough and get along. You know, I'm the one that ended his pipeline. He said, you're killing me with the pipeline. Nobody else ended his pipeline. Biden came in. He approved it. But I did a lot of things that were very tough on Russia. Nobody, no president was ever as tough on Russia as I was. Mm. And I'd come in, the fake news would say, Trump loves Russia. He loves Russia. Then we had the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, which is now with Durham and Mueller and all the rest, just a total hoax. It was a made-up fictional story. But with respect to what's going on now, it would have been so easy for me to stop this travesty from happening. He understood me, and he understood that I didn't play games. This would not have happened. There it is. Someday I'll tell you exactly what we talked about. Nice. But we talked about it. And he did have an affinity. There's no question about it for Ukraine. I said, never let it happen. You better not let it happen. This oh, yeah. Can't lay it out any more clearer than that. Nope. I definitely think uh, the next physical book I buy in non-audiobook form will be his presidential memoirs. I think it's going to be a great one. Probably the greatest than ever before. <laughs> Trump paid homage to the uh, recently dispersed Truckapalooza rally up in Ottawa and tied it nicely into uh, the global elites. Yet if the radical Democrats truly want to fight for democracy aboard, if they want to look and See, he does it too. look abroad <laughs> and fight like, for what? what they want to fight for, which I don't think they do, they should start with the democracy that is under threat right next door, mm. a place called Canada. <laughs> Our buffer country. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> well, by the way, we got rid of NAFTA and we have the USMCA, that's Mexico and Canada. Yep, way better. One of the greatest deals we ever made. And I know it's great because they want to renegotiate the deal. <sighs> that was a horrible deal. NAFTA was the worst trade deal ever made. and. 
Now we have probably the best trade deal ever made, but they want to renegotiate, and they probably will do it. This administration, oh, sure. That's not putting America first. We put America first. It's a great deal. They should Thanks. leave it. They've been ripping us off for 30 years. It's time for us to do well. The tyranny we have witnessed in Canada in recent weeks should shock and dismay people all over the world. In an advanced Western democracy, the peaceful movement of patriotic truckers, workers, and families protesting for their most basic rights and liberties has been violently put down. Mike Collins stood up for that one. Their assets and life savings have been frozen. They have been slandered as Nazis, racists, and terrorists. These are the names they've been called. They've been arrested and charged with phony crimes. They've been falsely accused of loyalty to foreign powers. I watched them. I saw those maple leafs all over the flags and the love for their country. Plenty of Americans were there, too, mm -hmm. and they love our country. They're being hunted down like enemies of their own government and treated worse than drug dealers and murderers or rapists. A line has been crossed. You're either with the peaceful truckers or you are with the left-wing fascists. And that's what's been happening. And it's been a strong line. We stand with the truckers and we stand with the Canadian people in their noble quest to reclaim their freedom. Pretty solid. Yeah. Can uh, be more specific than that. It is pretty appalling, you know, what had happened up there and the way that the people who participated in the peaceful trucker protests, known as Truckapalooza here on Steak for Breakfast, are being given the uh, full deluxe and premium January 6th style service, mm. even though they never entered any capitals. Instead, they erected hot tubs sure. and turn, minion bouncy houses sort of turn down service with that mm. do you get a mint on the pillow gruel on the pillow <laughs> that's not grueling canada what they got they got maple syrup on the pillow crepes and maple syrup yeah delicious <laughs> the destabilization and crime wave that followed the summer of love because of radical progressive left district attorneys judges sheriffs etc that um allowed people to burn down our cities and, and roam free without consequence of now completely inhabited and destroyed some of our most beautiful places ever in the United States and definitely the ones with most historical value, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Missouri, or uh, I'm sorry, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, et cetera. Donald Trump touched on this a little bit and, uh, you know, tied it into a little January 6th narrative. Let's hear it. He set violent criminals loose without charges while prosecuting their political opponents for fabricated crimes. They legalize mass robberies and cheer for BLM and Antifa rioters, ransacking our cities while they hold nonviolent protesters without trial, destroy their lives. They lift sanctions on Iran while they sanction and destroy our own citizens. They try to silence voices like Joe Rogan for alleged misinformation while they perpetuate the most flagrant hoaxes and monstrous lies like the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. How was that? 
For three years, we had to put up with the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. It was a total hoax. They indoctrinate your children to hate their parents yep. while calling you a hateful racist. They stick the FBI on mothers at school board meetings while they teach four-year-olds to pick their own genders. Would you like to change your gender? And they say it's absolutely fine for a boy or a man to participate in women's sports. I don't think so. Definitely they some use new big material. tech to censor you. They use the deep state to spy on you. They use the intelligence agencies to frame you. They use the media to slander you. They use the legal system to persecute you. You it is a persecution. They rig elections nice save. to disenfranchise you and destroy you and ruin your lives. I've seen the anger and the hatred and the horror at the 2020 election. All the while they claim as they are the ones defending democracy. They say they are the ones that are going to defend your democracy and your justice. It's a lot of bullshit. That's what it is. Hey. Damn. Very nice. Yeah. I think if you listen to the underlying tones, that's almost like saying he said they then then they prosecute you or persecute you. I don't know what he said. He he had a little flub there. Yeah. But the underlying tones of the whole speech is that although things may at times seem bleak now based off of a lot of things we've outlined since the top of the show regarding us domestically and abroad. Um, There is light at the end of the tunnel. And even though there was sweeping changes that came with the 2020 presidential election, most importantly was the top to bottom um, reemergence of power on the Democrat side. Donald Trump feels that they have, they may have seriously underestimated the will and the soul of America. And that that boomerang when it comes back is going to be bigger than ever before. To save the nation that we love, the rest of them you know, the rest of them we've discussed today. If we fail in our mission, we already know what the fate of America will be. The radical left is trying to extinguish our very identity as Americans so that when they try to take our freedom, we do not even think to resist. They don't resist. They got to resist. They got to fight. They got to fight. We have no choice. We got to fight like hell. We can't let them destroy our country. But our opponents have made a very big mistake. They have done the one thing you must never do if you seek to harm America. They have grossly underestimated the strength and brilliance and pride of the American people. They're not going to stand for it. They're not going to take it. The crackdown, censorship, and cancel culture are not an expression of confidence. They are an expression of cowardice and of fear, and they are afraid. They reveal not the dominance of the radical left, but their desperation and their despair. They are losing. We are winning. They know it. They know it. And that's why they're going so far. That's why they're doing some of the crazy things that they're doing. 
They're acting as though they were lunatics, maniacs, and the people get it, and we have to stop it, and we have to stop it now. A lot of new material in this one. It's definitely more of a stump speech than it has been, like, of the rally vibe that we've gotten with a couple of them coming out now. What do you think, Noah? Well, he's official now, right? No, still not official. No? You got those campaign finance laws. Sounds real official. Sounds pretty official, and we're going to get to that in just a second. He does have a new wrapping up the rally closeout. Let's hear it a little bit. It was patriots like you that built this country, and it's patriots like you that are going to save our country. So to all of those who think that they can coerce and subjugate the citizens of this land, hear these words from me tonight. The people of America will not surrender our borders. We will not surrender our culture. We will not surrender our faith. We will not surrender our values. We will not surrender our history. We will not surrender our liberty. And above all, we will not surrender our children to the small band of bullies and extremists who want to tell everyone else what to do. I just like the pitch of his voice when he does these. What to do. And then, no, in case you were wondering, he will essentially and all but say it to confirm what's going to happen in 2024. They're going to find out the hard way starting on November 8th and then again even more so on November 2024. They will find out like never before. We did it twice, and we'll do it again. We're going to be doing it again a third time. 2022 will be the year that millions of everyday citizens stand up to the left-wing fascists, and they'll continue, and we will all continue together to make America great again. So, all but confirmed. Because on November 2024, as he said, they'll take back the White House like it's never been taken back before. before. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. It was definitely one of the better ones. I'll give it like a... We haven't even hit real, real, real post-primary season of the midterm elections yet. I'm going to give it like an 8.7. Mm-hmm, yeah. It is CPAC. Probably could have got to a 9, but no flag hug. He, uh, for it to get to a nine, he would have actually had to say, hold on a second, I'm going to send a mean tweet on Truth Social right now. Yeah, there you go. I would have liked to hear that. You know what else I'm going to like to hear is our next guest who's getting ready to jump in with us. Um, Joe Kent's going to come and have a little conversation about all the stuff that's going on and give us an update on his campaign. And as his audio is loading, we'll uh, let him into the show. All right, jumping in last with us today and back on the show again. He's the Trump-endorsed America First congressional candidate for... House seat in Washington three. Mr. Joe Ken, thanks for joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything been going with you? It's good. We're doing well. We're staying busy, kind of all over the district. Um, but yeah, a lot of good groundswell of uh, support out here. I think people are excited to get on with 2022, flip the House and the Senate so we can uh, 
turn the tables on this regime. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a pretty big mess, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I specifically want to ask first about your uh, the race and how everything's going. You know, you and, and uh, Carolina Herrera Butler head to head. What's been going on with uh, everything going on in your race? Yeah, so we're still leading in the polls um, against Jamie Herrera Butler. Still doing pretty well on fundraising. She's getting supported by McCarthy and some of the the other. Horrible corporate types of packs, but uh, we're still pulling ahead. We got a Democrat in the race uh, as well. So, um, you know, kind of under siege from all sides, but we're still pulling ahead, uh, enlisting new people into our volunteer army every day um, and just trying to stay, you know, on top of all the issues. And in the media, we just started our door knocking campaign, uh, hired some field directors. Um, yeah, I'll be on my way out, out the door here after this podcast, heading up to a, a town hall and one of our, uh, a new county that we are a new slice of a county that we picked up and redistributed a solid Republican. So everything is going well so far. Yeah. It's good to hear everything from the poll numbers to, you know, we share your social media all the time. We all know how hard you're working and so does our listenership. You know, you you mentioned something that's a little confusing to me, maybe not so much because I, I break it down for, for part of the job that goes into doing the podcast, but you know, Earlier in the show, we had it. We did an America First roundtable, similar to the one you were on last time with us, and we had Mike Collins and Robbie Starbuck join us. They both come from two individual races who have some eerie, you know, establishment Republican connections to it. I'll just name it: Morgan Ortegas and Vernon Jones. Mm-hmm. Kind of inserted into those races where they're both doing extremely well and uh, are actually America First uh, candidates, as I'm sure you would agree. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you have the establishment Republican pick there in, in Herrera Butler, but then, you know, money's being funneled in from, from the GOP and, and on behalf of McCarthy, what's the deal here going on against the America first movement? Yeah. You know, I, I like to say that this, uh, this race right here in Washington three, we're kind of the front line, of the civil war within the Republican party. And so Kevin McCarthy, he is, he's trying to be very sneaky. He is, he knows that Trump is still very popular with the Republican base and he likes to fundraise off a very America first MAGA type of messaging. But at the same time, he doesn't want to uh, further America first policies because that means he has to go against the corporate donor class. If you want to bring jobs back and bring back manufacturing, if you want to seal off legal and illegal immigration, if you want to stay out of foreign interventions, that right there is completely and totally against the corporate donor class, Wall Street, military industrial complex. That's who Kevin McCarthy wants to cater to. So what he wants to do is he still wants to be able to go to the Trump base and say, hey, I need your votes. I need your support um, with the MAGA messaging. But then under the table, he's going to support a candidate like Jamie Herrera Butler because he wants 22 to be a red wave, but a referendum on America first Trump style politics. So they can say that, hey, this Trump thing was just a just a flash in the pan. We want to go back to business as usual. You can see that because Kevin McCarthy was supporting not just Jamie Herrera Butler, but he was supporting five of the 10 impeachment voters. So that right there is it tells everybody what they need to know about the establishment. So um, that's still the stakes. Unfortunately, I, I wish that the Republican Party would read the tea leaves a little bit. I was uh, encouraged a little bit to see that the Republican Party is going against Liz Cheney in Wyoming. I think they need to do the same and just ditch all the impeachment voters, ditch everybody who voted for Build Back Better and really listen to the base. But uh, that has yet to happen. So I hope I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll they'll start to hear it. Yeah, at least President Trump will start to hear, it, and that's the, that's the most important one because I think he's hearing a lot of different. There's so many races right now. I mean, I see him endorsing uh, comptrollers and uh, you know minor races in, in bigger states, which are important, and I understand the whole dynamic behind that. But there's some of like like you said, you're at the tip of the front lines right now, and 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 working in the trenches. And if if anybody needs uh, 
you know, more support and stuff like that, then it's definitely going to be you to get that establishment rhino out of there. I wanted to ask about your race real quick. Uh, what, what are some of the things that are really resonating with Washington 3 that separates you from Butler? I know you mentioned, like, voting for impeachment and Build Back Better. Is there anything else that's really important to these people in your district? Yeah, medical freedom, man. I know you guys are down in California, so you felt the squeeze as well. I mean, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates. I know Joe Biden's going to wave his magic wand tonight during the State of the Union. Our governor did kind of did the same yesterday and said that COVID is over on uh, March 12th. (laughs) But people here, I mean, because of the way the vaccine mandates were rolled out earlier this year, earlier in the Biden administration, a lot of folks, um, they had their lives drastically altered. They had to either take the jab or lose their job. And that was the jobs that were, you know, remaining, the ones that weren't taken away by the shutdowns completely because we were under really draconian lockdowns here. The Washington State Board of Health is still considering making the vaccine mandatory for K through 12. The kids are still in masks at school. So medical freedom is still massive. Jamie Herra Butler, she's taking money from Big Pharma. She said absolutely nothing. She doesn't talk about getting cutting off the federal funding for COVID. And Jay Inslee, when he gave his address yesterday, mm-hmm. he actually said the quiet part out loud. He talked about, hey, uh, I'm still really concerned with people's health. He, you know, he, he talked about how he was still trying to protect us. That's why he's going to leave the mask mandates on for a little bit longer. But then at the very end, he said, we also need to ensure that we continue to get the federal funding for COVID. Mom. And I'm like, this is that, that's it right there. Our federal legislatures, if they were fighting and they were cutting off every single cent for COVID lockdown relief, then the governor wouldn't be able to politically maintain this level of lockdown. And Jamie's been completely silent. She voted for the vaccine tracking database. So people are still very aware of that. That's that issue right there is bringing people over to our side, I'd say in droves. And then just like you guys down there in California, the crisis on our Southern border has just made crime just absolutely explode up the I-5 corridor, right through our district. We have, you know, Portland to our South, Seattle to our North, right between these failing sanctuary cities. The crime has just spilled over into our district. You can actually see it week by week, just progressing more and more into our district. Jamie voted against stopping construction of the Southern border wall. She voted with the Democrats to stop Trump from deploying additional federal resources to quell the violence in the summer of 2020. So those basic law and order issues, basic freedom issues, that's bringing folks over to our side. And then man, the just the supply chain issues and the inflation. I mean, people are really, really hurting. Just the price of the pump. I live in a rural community. That price of the pump for folks that don't have access to public transportation, it really hurts as far as just their their daily activities, their daily commute, you know, driving and getting groceries. So, I mean, on almost every single level, we're under assault. And you can point directly at Rhino Republicans. The, the, the easy thing is just to blame Biden. He deserves most of the blame. However, the Rhino Republicans like Jamie, who haven't fought any of this, like the, the blame is squarely at their feet as well. It sure is. They're just as complicit in, in all the bad policies and, and carrying them out as they are as the, you know, radical liberal progressives that have um, pushed them down on the people. Uh, being complicit is just as bad as, as, as developing as far as I'm concerned. And you touched on a lot of the things that we're probably going to hear tonight at the State of the Union. Uh, Joe Biden's going to say that he and the science team together to defeat COVID. Uh, he's the greatest jobs president in the history of the United States. We all know that's unequivocally false. The economy is booming and bouncing back bigger and better than ever before. I, I take some words from Donald Trump, but you know that's what Joe Biden's going to say, even though the supply chain's destroyed, shelves are empty all over the United States. And it's all going to be centered around this green policies that they want to push on the people. We're seeing the direct uh, cause and effect here with, with Russia and Ukraine, which is what I want to segue next. But, but, yeah, but, definitely. but start with the, uh, you know, the green energy policies and stuff like this. 
the European Union and their abandonment of nuclear energy and reliance on places like Russia for oil and stuff like that has it has a direct tie-in to what's going on with Ukraine right now. In addition to the to the eastern push of, of NATO over the last you know thirty years, um, we're seeing some of the same things here. Joe Biden implemented a lot of policies on day one through executive orders that that abandoned energy independence and, and we became re-reliant on places like Russia again. You know, I saw that there was a huge nuclear facility that was voted to be closed down in Florida last week. And we're, we're going down that path right now with this administration where we're going to be repeating the same steps of, of Germany, where at some point it's going to be like, we're not going to be able to keep the lights on unless we're getting it from places. And if places like Russia want to go and invade Ukraine, we're kind of in a really bad situation where we can't do anything because it's what keeps the light on in the United States. You want to touch on that before you get into uh, maybe helping us break down the situation between Russia and Ukraine right now? Yeah, definitely. And it's all deeply intertwined. So, I mean, really, when when America is weak at home, the national security of our country and then world security is is very much threatened. I mean, President Trump, he derived his strength. And I think people, they, they get distracted. They think Trump's strength came from his bravado. And I think that definitely played a factor. However, the first thing Trump did was make sure that we were energy independent here at home, made sure that our nuclear uh, power was running, made sure that we didn't need anything else from the world. And then he made us a net exporter of energy. So we took away resources from some of the worst actors in the world, from Vladimir Putin's Russia to the OPEC cartel. So when he approached the rest of the world, he knew that we were strong. We could use economic policies, economic uh, pressure and diplomatic pressure to lean on our European counterparts to say, hey, guys, you can't complain to us about this Russia threat if you're buying oil from them. Knock that off. That just that just emboldens Russia. And they laughed at Trump and they said he didn't understand. But now we're saying that Trump was was right on so many different levels that he wouldn't even let them build the uh, the Norad stream pipeline. And so now when Biden comes in and he kills off our ability to be a net exporter of energy and to be energy independent now we have a crisis putin is emboldened he saw he sees how weak biden is and so he decides to act and now we we just don't have very many cards left to play short of some form of a half-cocked military strategy which of course you hear warmongers like hillary clinton adam kissinger talking about these very provocative acts of war against russia cyber no-fly zones etc but a lot of that is just because we we don't have very many cards to play and we're relying on them we we try and slap down some sanctions which i guess yeah makes sense sanction them except for we can't sanction their oil because we're buying their oil we made ourselves dependent on foreign oil. It's a disease. I think we should be working 100% towards, you know, sustainable solutions like nuclear, which is actually one of the most, you know, clean sources of energy that yep. we can find. And then getting back to being a net exporter of energy. It's just common sense, I think, for most people. But again, we've let the globalists, the liberal world order, the uh, the environmental uh, global warming types really take over and drive our policy, but with no actual, uh, no actual real policy goals and no policy tools behind it. It's all just rhetoric. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's clear as day. And you could look at other countries, like we already mentioned Germany and stuff like that. You know, when, when Russia's greatest ally right now is China and we're pretty much dead to rights when it comes yeah. to everything that comes into this country has China, uh, you know, attached to it in some way, shape or form. And it, like you said, negotiations at the very least before you even get into the military option have very little weight because of who the players are in the game. It's like we've, we've really set ourselves up to be in one of the most compromising situations imaginable. And for someone who usually looks to the United States as a beacon of strength and uh, leadership when it comes to diplomacy and military action, it seems like we don't have a, a man in the fight in either in either spot right now. No, that's right. And, and that's, again, that makes the world a very dangerous place. I mean, we need strong leadership. I mean, Trump, 
he got us economically strong. And then also he used military force. We had to, took out the caliphate, took out Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian terrorists, and even the Russians when they were pushing up against us in Syria. A lot of people don't realize this because Putin didn't want to hype it. The Russians were pushing up against us in Syria under Obama. I was actually in Iraq at the time. We would have to give up ground to the Russians because we didn't want to provoke them. We were, we were scared, running scared from the Russians. Trump came on the scene and he said, hey, if the Russians get near us, you give them warnings, but you hold your ground. The Russians tried to take an oil field that the American forces were holding. And we killed like 300 Russian mercenaries in Syria. And Putin's a thug. He understands and he respects that. So when Trump goes to sit down with a guy like Putin or any of these other thugs he was he was negotiating with throughout the world, they knew that Trump meant business. He wasn't going to get involved in a stupid war, but if he had to drop the hammer, he would. And he had a whole other array of tools because we had a strong economy. All of that is gone now. And and we we and the world are much less safe because of it. And we're in a very precarious situation right now with what's happening in Eastern Europe. Strategically right now, Joe, what do you think is, is, is going on? Uh, you know, what's Vladimir Putin's endgame in all this? I don't think he's trying to instigate a world war. I think there's a couple other factors in it. You probably know better than every everything else, all the stuff that's gone on. Like we said, the stuff to do with energy, the, the eastern expansion of NATO in Europe, the, you know, kicking out of Russia from places like the G8 back in the day and, and things like that and the sanctions that have been put on Vladimir Putin for the last two decades. In regards to, you know, some of the... Uh, historical and ethnic ties to the country being a part of yeah. the former Soviet Union that Russia has. What's the best take you can give on it right now? And where do you think you see this going? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think we're in a very dangerous spot just because of how weak we are. And the thing is, I, I don't think that Putin is irrational. I don't think anybody anticipated. I know there's a handful of people that did anticipate he was going to do a full blown invasion. I thought this was going to be Crimea 2.0 where he went into the two Russian speaking provinces and raised the Russian flag and, you know, kind of made us look a little bit silly. But now that he's gone, he, he, he sees that we're weak. And so he's trying to show that he will not tolerate NATO or European Union expansion into Ukraine, which if you view it um, purely in the, the events of the last 24, 48 hours or whatever, you're like, OK, well, that seems completely unreasonable. But when you take a broader look and you look at the fact that we conducted a color revolution, a yep. soft coup, however you want to look at it, we conducted it or we supported it. We had something to do with it in 2014. And we kind of installed this government that's there right now. You see that Vladimir Putin does actually have a fairly legitimate claim to say, hey, you guys are pushing up against my you know, Western border here, and you wouldn't tolerate this. I mean, we didn't tolerate Soviet expansion in Cuba in our hemisphere, mm -hmm. you know, during the height of the Cold War for very good reason. And so I, I do think we have to look at what does Putin truly want. I don't think he is irrational. I think right now he's kind of taking a big swing because he knows that Biden is weak. Again, he, there's no way he would have tried this under Trump. I mean, that's that's not even up for debate. I don't yeah. think any serious person would, would, would debate that. But now what we have is we have Zelensky and Zelensky deserves some credit because unlike other you know U.S. installed puppets, he didn't just grab a bunch of money and run to Dubai. He's actually staying and fighting, but he he's saying that he wants to join the European Union now. And so his claim that he's fighting for Ukrainian sovereignty, I'm not sure how much sense that makes because if you join the European Union, you're basically a satellite state to Brussels. I mean, that's exactly why the Brits wanted to get the heck out of, of the European Union. They wanted they wanted their sovereignty back. So. And that's also going to just encourage Vladimir Putin not to give up one more inch. We're taking away his ability to have some sort of an off-ramp and to de-escalate the conflict by, by talking in terms of NATO, by talking in terms of the European Union. I think our starting point has to be, hey, we want the shooting to stop. We don't want any more loss of life. And we want to give Vladimir Putin assurances that, hey, we have no desire to expand the West right up onto your border 
just like you shouldn't have a desire to come take over all of Ukraine. And, and I think that's a place where both sides could say they held their ground. The Ukrainians can say, OK, we stood and we fought against Russian aggression. And the Russians can say, OK, we push back the NATO and the European Union. Um, and Ukraine is going to remain as this very neutral buffer state. I mean, you can't change geography. If you, if you look at a map, whatever entity has always controlled Russia will always butt up against this small country where they share a lot of cultural ties with that is the gateway to Europe. That's just what buffer states do the world over, history over. So the best, most practical thing for everyone is just to treat Ukraine as a buffer state. Again, the problem is, you know, the longer the shooting goes on, the more heightened emotions are going to be for very good reason. And the harder it's going to be to come to some form of a truce. And I, I, I'm really concerned because, again, we don't have a lot of tools to offer in this. We can't even cut ourselves off of Russian oil. And just at a very basic level, we don't have a competent commander in chief. Right. The people he ha- The people he has around him are absolute imbeciles, many of whom are compromised by folks in Ukraine, folks in Russia. I mean, Jake Sullivan was one of the ones that was leading point on getting the steel dossier via Ukraine, via the Russians, put into U.S. intelligence channels. Putin knows all of that. Zelensky probably knows all of that. I mean, there's a reason why Zelensky and, and the rest of the Ukrainian government were so eager to hire Hunter Biden. I mean, they, they want him in on the whole deal. There's that factor. And look, I'm telling you, I, I, I served under Austin. I briefed him in Iraq when he was a four-star general. The guy's just not that bright. I mean, we do not have our A-team right there. And this is a place where we really need a good A-team of diplomats to go in there and, and discuss a way that we can just stop a loss of life and prevent World War III. This is Eastern Europe. This is where World Wars start. Yeah, especially when you have... Uh... You know, between Austin and Jake Sullivan, you also can't forget general pronouns, uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Millie up there, too. I'm, sure, I'm hoping that he could find the root causes of white rage in Ukraine, but I, I'm pretty skeptical on whether or not he's going to be able to search it out and find it. And keep the Chinese up to date on what's going on. That's important for, for Mark Millie. He does have to let them know. Joe, this has yeah. been awesome getting you back today. You know, I always brag to our listenership about you. I say, obviously, we know you're one of the strongest America First candidates out there, and you've been doing an amazing job of, of promoting your campaign and, and bringing the America First values back to the forefront. All the things that you talked about on the show with us today and just this short segment are some of the biggest things that we're lacking as a nation. And uh, I always tell everybody, you know, there are a couple candidates out there who are or a little bit more, like, sucked up into it to where they can't do anything except their campaign. But then there's a couple who are just like real people that like, listen, you shoot them a text, you shoot them a DM on Instagram, you ask them a question and you're always, yeah. quick, you're always quick to answer back. You're, you're one of the reels out there. You can definitely multitask and it's the success you're having in your campaign right now and how you're leading in the polls, I think is a direct reflection of that. So we're going to of course ask to, have you back at some point between now and uh, the primary, but uh, yeah. for, for all of our listening audience that we want to get involved in your campaign today, why don't you tell them where they could find your uh, congressional website and across social medias? Yeah, go to JoeKittenForCongress.com. There's a link to read all my social media on there, and then if they can, a donation really helped, like we talked about, I'm up against Kevin McCarthy and the GOP. we got mm-hmm. a Democrat in the race, so I'm up against like the establishment right and, and the far left and, and all the places in between, so JoeKittenForCongress.com. There's a place to do that. Five, 10, 15 bucks kind of breaks us away and keeps us independent of, you know, the corporate ruling class and really sends a, a very clear message to them. So joke for Congress.com. Sounds like you're looking for a little change in house leadership once you get there. After, oh yeah. After the midterms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I haven't been shy about that. That's probably why Kevin's uh, continuing to support my, my opponent. And that's why we love having <laughs> you on the show. This is the man who is going to be representing Washington three after the 2022 midterm elections. Mr. Joe Kent, thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Well, always a treat to have Joe Kent back. 
probably one of the most transparent, down-to-earth, and real America First candidates that we've had on the show. I mean, we have a lot of great ones. I know I say this a lot, but I like that guy. Yeah, he's definitely solid. We're going to have to have a beer with him at some point, Mm -hmm. either before or after the election. And kind of one of the things we touched on throughout pretty much all of the show was the preview of the State of the Union address. Um, We're there. It's tonight. And uh, Noah, expectations? Uh, It's going to be watched only by people who want to see how bad it is. I'm doing it for research purposes only. Like, I might just wait for the highlights. Honestly, I don't care that much. You'll hear it here on Steak for Breakfast this Friday. That's where I get all my news. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Um, someone who was also getting news for the first time in the form of a poll and its results was, uh, Jen Psaki. She, as we already mentioned, did the, uh, Sunday morning news circuit. And while on this week with George Stephanopoulos, he wanted to ask her how she felt about a recent poll that talked about, uh, well, America's confidence in Joe Biden's mental ability. Let's hear it. Right now, 37% approval rating. Democrats trailing badly in the midterm polling. A majority in our recent poll out this morning even questioned the president's mental capacity. How is he going to turn that around on Tuesday night? And how much has the State of the Union be changed with a lot of morphine? Ukraine? Well, George, I think there's no question uh, that in the State of the Union, uh, the American people and anybody watching around the world will hear the president talk about the efforts he has led over the past several months to build a global coalition to fight fight against the autocracy and the efforts of President Putin to invade a foreign country. That is certainly something that is present in all of our lives and certainly in the president's life in this moment. But what people will also hear from President Biden is his optimism and his belief in the resilience uh, of the American people and the strength of the so American people. Nothing. And you know, George, from covering State of the Unions for some time, that, that it is about delivering a message to the public at a moment in time. And if you look back when President Obama gave his first State of the Union, it was during the worst financial crisis in a generation. When President Bush gave his state, first State of the Union, it was shortly after 9-11. Leaders lead during crises. That's exactly what President Biden is doing. He'll speak to that, but he's also going to speak about his optimism about what's ahead and what we all have to look forward to. Jen Saki, thanks very much for your time this morning. You know, I guess the one thing she did say that was true was that she referenced those two former presidents and that the they were in the most catastrophic time periods of the entire uh, administration. And if you rope Joe Biden into that, all three of them are now, you know, can be considered ones who are in the midst of self-induced disasters that they've caused with their policies, both foreign and domestic, to get us to this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, she didn't say Obama caused it, but... He sure had a help, big helping hand in it. No, I know, but, you know, like Team Obama, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, to, can't go against the Imagine that's the, team. the same people running the country right now. Weird. And uh, you want to talk about George Bush 9-11, we're going to have to save that for one of our conspiracy theory episodes. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what the American public is feeling when when they're talking about, you know, how optimistic they are about hearing Joe Biden do a... Uh, State of the Union address. No, you think he lasts an hour? Uh, I I think. <clears throat> well, where does this take place? Is there in the halls of Congress? It, yeah, but is there going to be? Are they going to be able to like tactfully edit in breaks for him? I, I guess by clapping. But what's to clap about? No, but I mean like, it's just like when they did. Uh, 
the green screens putting people on the at the Capitol during during all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I feel like it's going to be edited. They're going to have to take him in the back and you know change the tires like NASCAR or something. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 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 one of those things. It, it, I don't think he makes it. An hour. Maybe a, maybe a pipe breaks somewhere. All reliable. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to stop counting votes right now. The shitter in Congress is flooding. We're we're going to resume the State of the Union at 10 a.m. tomorrow. (laughs) Well, right after Jen got off, there was a a poll talking about the midterms, and they kind of piggybacked it off of those bad Biden numbers. Let's hear uh, them weigh in on it. And more concerning uh, for Joe Biden and for Democrats generally is if you look at our latest poll out today, uh, the, the percentage of, of a voters saying that they will vote for Republicans in the midterm elections is at the highest level that we have seen since 2010. I wonder why. And you mm. know what happened in 2010. 2010 uh, is when uh, Republicans won 63 seats and swept in control uh, of the House in the Tea Party wave. So Biden needs to change the trajectory. He needs to acknowledge the challenges and present some kind of a, of a, of a vision uh, that shows that he has a, a plausible plan for dealing with the challenges facing the country. Well, I know something that's not going to happen. It's any of the shit that that guy just said. So because any of the, uh, any of the solutions that Joe Biden's going to offer is going to be centered around build back better and, and the green new bullshit. So, well, that's kind of, you know, the only way to end this show, which has been all America first is to have our last audio clip feature Miss America last Nancy Pelosi. She going to be eating expensive ice cream? No, and she's not drinking a margarita, but she'll probably have a few before the state of the union tonight because she actually went before a camera and said there's just a huge disconnect and lack of appreciation for the work that Joe Biden's done and that's why his low poll numbers are where they are or or, <laughs> or people are psychologically unable to be happy. Yeah, well, I saw that clip the other day too, but you know, this one's probably equally as. What if she shows up to the uh, to the speech wearing just like a construction helmet with two bottles of wine sticking out of the sides? I'm not going to say I like the beer helmet. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, let's hear her, uh, talk about how much she loves Joe Biden. Now the polls show Americans deeply pessimistic about the economy. Inflation's only going to rise with what's happening on the energy front with this war. Um, what do you attribute to that? What? The, the, the decline in the president's polls, even on COVID, on how he's handled it, um, what can he do to turn this around? Well, I think tonight's going to be very important oh. because for people to appreciate what the president has done and that working together with the Congress, they have to know what it is. President Lincoln said public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost everything. Without it, practically nothing. But people have to know for public sentiment to... Does he have any public sentiment? Not according to the Isn't poll. Isn't that what poll numbers negative ratings mean? Like, Remember. That's less sentiment, negative she, sentiment. She doesn't say open sesame. Negative sentiment? She says open Biden. Five sentiments? Ten sentiments? <laughs> you miss me yet. <laughs> Fucking guy. Well, like I said, on our Friday edition of the show this week, we're going to come back and uh, break down just as much as of the State of the Union dress that we could probably comprehend. Are we going to break down as much as Joe Biden breaks down during the State of the Union? I'm I'm going to predict that. Did you go say, let's go, Brandon? <laughs> I don't know. It's been a, it's been a it's been a weird week, but we had some great news. It was good wrapping up CPAC for you guys, and uh, moving forward, we'll just uh, 
you know, try to keep you as best informed as possible because that's all we could do here on Steak for Breakfast. And as uh, the global elites and Redditors of the world continue to dictate the news cycle, we'll bring it to you with as much discernment and likeness as possible. And I think the uh, biggest component is that is all the places you can listen to and now watch the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now the Patriot Podcast Network, available on any Roku smart television. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show credits, of course, go to our great America First guests, Mike Collins and Robbie Starbuck, who did an America First uh, roundtable. And then uh, Mr. Joe Kent made up three amazing America First candidates that joined us today. Friends, don't forget to follow all of our partners. By you supporting them, the only goal that is accomplished is that you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow, best night's sleep ever, Giza Dream Everything. I'm wearing my my slippers. Mike Lindell. Just going to throw a whole bunch of words out there for you. Big savings. Towels, <laughs> Giza sheets, slippers, pillows right now. Everything is big, big savings, and you get a free gift with every order. Promo code is steak. You enter at a checkout on the website, which is mypillow.com forward slash steak. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey. I love my new headphones. They look like Noah's, but they're not because we both have one of ones. Get yourself one as well. Get all those ear needs taken care of. Odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Stay ready, your holsters. You want to uh, have that melted Kydex done right. Send them a picture. They'll personalize it for you. And uh, you're really going to love the great work they're doing over there. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. You buy it. You shake it. You sprinkle it. You smoke it. Maybe put a little barbecue sauce on top of it as well. Mmm, delicious. Throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. num. Manrubs.com, Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Firearms, gun parts, accessories, and ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. Find him on Facebook Messenger. Hit him up via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic. Great gear and apparel for all our first responders in the blue that we black. Damn it. You're on steak for breakfast. <laughs> Mediocremedic.com. They've also got a fire IG. And last but certainly not least, the home of the zero fuck stuck. Dump box. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. And at dumpbox.us. Upcoming shows. We're rolling right back on Friday. We're going to have Arizona senatorial candidate Jim Lehman. You probably saw his uh, Western-themed Super Bowl commercial. Mark Ivano, the president of Republicans for National Renewal. He's going to be joining us for the first time, and we're going to be talking midterm elections. One of the most based House representative candidates running the midterm elections, J.R. Majewski, looking to represent Ohio 9, will be joining us. And that show is going to start with a heaping helping of none other than Mr. Cash Patel. Next week, we're coming back on the 8th. We're going to have Carolina Serrano, who's looking to represent Nevada 4. Courtney Turner, 
who has an America First podcast. We're going to be sitting down and chatting with her for a little bit. We're going to do a segment talking about some constitutional laws and how they're being affected by this administration with Newsmax contributor and constitutional lawyer Amir Bento. Next Friday, we start off with a little Arizona First. Kelly Townsend, who's looking to represent Arizona 1 in the midterm elections, will be joining us, and she'll be followed by Eli Crane, Boris Epstein endorsed, who will be uh, looking to represent Arizona 2, and we'll round out that show with our first sitting House representative joining us for the first time, representing Texas 24, Beth Van Dyne will be here. On the 15th of March, major influencer, you've seen her probably on all cable news shows, Bridget Gabriel will be here. We're also going to get an update from Clay Clark. He's rolling into San Diego in a few weeks, and we'll talk about how the tour has been going with him and all the additions he's made to that. John LaCash, host of The Wrong Opinion, will be joining us on the 18th in addition to some America First guests. We're going to circle back with Christina Bob, who had to reschedule with us because she's going to be attending the South Carolina Trump rally on the 22nd of March. Can't blame her there. And we'll be having another conversation with the co-founder of the Tea Party, Mr. Michael Johns, will be joining us. And then moving and looking all the way ahead in our fourth reschedule with the one and only Miss Amanda Milius. She's tentatively joining us on April 1st. (laughs) (laughs) If she actually makes it that day, it'll be perfect. Yeah, well, Cash and Vish both told us that she's a good four or five reschedules before we actually get her. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that are super busy. And she is super busy if you follow her on social medias. Um, Friends of the week, we got a bunch of them. Let's go Brenda, Truth on Draft, Garrett Goldsberry, Midnight Mitch, The Silent Meme Jordy, Grand Old Memes, Snack Thickelson, Dank Elvis, Chubertos 2.0, Matt's Banjo, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, between now and Friday, do three things and three things only. Number one, do your own research. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of misinformation, a lot of Redditing regarding uh, Russia, Russia, Russia. Do your own research and start a podcast. This actually was a pretty clean one compared to the last two, but super easy. They usually take like 13 seconds or 14 seconds to edit. And the finished product that you hear every week, (laughs) bi-weekly, is uh, the result of not having any experience in doing that. And most importantly, let's see what happens. This has been episode 112 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Uh, Antoinette will be back on Friday after attending to some mom duties today. And we'll be back with episode 113 when we're sitting down with Jim Lehman, Mark Avagno, J.R. Majewski, and Cash Patel. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening, and take care. Air is totally free. They have it everywhere you go. There's air in here. There's air everywhere. I'm breathing. Air.